0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. As many of you know, last month, or February of 2023 for those listening in the future, we lost an icon of manga and anime, and a founding pillar of fandom as we know it today, Leiji Matsumoto. I reached out to fellow fans old and new alike earlier this month to put together a sort of online memorial, a tribute for a creator whose works have touched the hearts and lives of so many. This podcast is the audio from that live Twitch stream of the tribute and celebration of Matsumoto's life and legacy. I've left it mostly intact with only minimal editing here and there, so you can get the feeling of what that live stream was like. While this was my first time doing something like this, and it is far from perfect, I feel like together with the knowledge from translator and fan Zach Davison, as well as the heartfelt and insightful submissions from everyone who sent in audio or written pieces for the stream, we made something very special, and I can't thank you all enough for it. It ran a lot longer than I initially planned, but every bit of it was enjoyable, so I hope everyone listening to it now gets that same joy that was put into it. Before we get to the recording, I also want to give a quick shout out to everyone who left tips this month on Kofi, including Tojiko Mori, Honey Melon, Lee, Dolomout, and several others who wish to remain anonymous. Thank you all so very much for your generosity, especially with my recent move. I really appreciate it. As always, if you want to get a shout out on the next episode, you can do so by leaving me a tip of two or more coffees on my Kofi account, which you can find links to in the show notes, and at anime And with that, I give you the recording of our Legi Matsumoto tribute stream. Good, good, good.
1: Yay!
0: <laughs> it wouldn't be a Twitch stream without some sort of technical difficulties. <laughs> <All>
1: right?
0: <laughs> Hello everybody, welcome. So happy to see so many new and returning people. Yay!
1: Yay.
0: <laughs> I'm so so glad you all could come uh to this sort of fan uh memorial, as it were, for uh one Leiji Matsumoto, the master, the the just iconic creator of uh, what we dearly call the Legiverse, and I am so very, very honored to have Mr. Zach Davison with me today uh, to talk about him. Uh, As many of you probably already are, you know, well aware of, uh, Zach Davison is one of the official translators of Leiji Matsumoto and translated uh, some of his iconic manga into English and uh, was very integral in getting uh, his voice across in uh, in our native language from Japanese. So welcome, Zach. I am so, so pleased that you could join us today.
2: Thank you, And I am also, well, you know, it's hard to say happy to be here because, of course, the circumstances of why we're here of are course. sad. But um, I'm glad to share in the outpouring of love for Regu Matsumoto, someone who's just been you know, incredibly important to my entire life.
0: Uh, yes.
2: His art and everything about him. So
0: Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> same, same. Uh, and I think that's a great place to start because what I wanted to do with this memorial is be more of like... You know, not so much a downer uh, of, a, of a thing where we sit here and just, you know, lament that he's gone, but a celebration of how this one person created so many things that touched so many people, uh, not just in his home country, but around the world. And uh, the things that he created greatly affected not only... Uh, anime and manga as a whole but fandom around the world as well uh specifically like had a huge 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 impact on many uh american fans mm-hmm. uh, you
2: know that's such an interesting thing to say that he had an impact on fandom because you know realistically without Matsumoto Reiji, what we know of as manga and anime fandom would not exist. I mean, he not only had an impact, he's, his work essentially founded it. I mean, there's a reason why the very first manga convention ever held in the United States was called Yamato Khan. I mm-hmm. mean, he was, he was the origin of, of almost everything of that we enjoy nowadays.
0: Yeah.
1: Even
2: though many people don't necessarily realize that because they weren't around at that point period of time when um, when his popularity was so influ- or when his work was so influential
0: mm, of course yes yes that is that is true and it's it's people like you and i who uh i think one of our goals is to like share this with younger generations mm. like like this is history this is not just like you know oh this guy was cool like this guy was integral to the history of fandom as we know it yeah. Yeah. which is so, so, so important, even if he had no idea.
2: <laughs> like... Well, and I, I think I think he did have an idea. Um, you know, that's something we can talk about a little bit later. Uh, but I, I do think it's also interesting because I see a lot of people talking about the picture of Daft Punk. And some, someone pointed out recently that there's basically two ways that you came to Matsumoto Leiji, and it depends on how old you are, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you're of one age, you probably came to him through Star Blazers. And then he has an entire second generation that came to him through Daft Punk. And for a while I was I was honestly a little bit annoyed at the whole Daft Punk thing because I'd see people going like Leiji Matsumoto, Daft Punk, as if that was the best thing he'd ever done, as if that wasn't the end of a legacy wide career, you know, as if his career started with Daft Punk. But then I was like, you know what? That's actually fine. If they if people experience him through Daft Punk, there's however whatever road you take on the big train that gets you on the, you know Lady Matsumoto versus totally fine. And it was great that he had such a resurgence due to that Punk.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I got lots of uh, stories from people who actually that was their entry point as well. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was something that was really exciting for me as a fan to see, like, because when that album and video started coming out. Uh, I was like, "Oh my god, this is this was made with with Leiji Matsumoto." I was like, "This is the coolest thing ever!" Like, "Holy shit!" Now people will like maybe know who he is. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. mean, I
2: remember the yeah the first time I saw it, somebody sent it to me. It's like, "Look, dancing Gamelons." You know, <laughs> I had the s- slightest idea who Daft Punk was. I Had no idea, but I was like, "Oh my god, it, it is!" Someone made a music video set on the Gamelon planet. That's crazy,
0: right? And it's it's cool because Daft Punk themselves, this duo, uh, mm. these musicians, they were French, so they grew up with um, Albor.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: And so probably getting to work with Lady Matsumoto was probably like one of the biggest like things of their lives. They probably thought it was amazing.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, what? I
0: I definitely would. I would be like over the moon. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, getting back to like our history with Legi like, Matsumoto, uh, how were you introduced to his work?
2: So I, you know, I was I was introduced to his work in such a weird way. And this is one of those things where I would always wanted to like, I want to go back in time and find out the person who made this decision because it was so utterly and completely random. But I think it was 1980 and Robin Williams had put out this cartoon, or the not cartoon, this uh, musical, Popeye, um, which is, great musical love the film um and somebody decided to air it as a double feature with an adaptation of Matsumoto Leiji's galaxy express uh adapted by roger corman and like i don't know how those two films got paired together yeah Um,
0: that's so random
2: (laughs) it's so completely random you know so i'm in this small town spokane washington and you know mom decides well you know we'll pack the kids up to a double feature because that's pretty awesome you know you get like four hours in the movie theater of your kids just sitting there watching movies and so we went in there um absolutely no expectations i really you know didn't really even know you know the movie poster itself didn't even show you anything it's it's funny if you see the movie poster they use for galaxy express it has absolutely nothing on it it's just like a pair of train tracks like they want to yeah fool mm-hmm. you into going into something you know And I just went in and it was just, I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. You know, I'd seen, you know, obviously like I watched cartoons as a kid. I mean, sure. But all the, all the American cartoons at the time, they were really like, you know, they were just so sexless. They just had no bite. They had no edge. You know, they were just the most neutered thing you could ever even imagine. You know, nobody died. Mm -hmm. Nobody really got hurt. There was always a nice, happy little moral lesson at the end, and then you go to see something like Galaxy Express, and it was just it was just astounding. I mean, the people were getting shot, people were getting killed, uh, you know, you had all this amazing drama and emotion, and, and that was also something else that really struck me about it, was that you had these characters with, like, especially since I was a young boy at the time, these young boys with, like, intense emotions, and that was not something you ever saw in children's entertainment, you know, children's... Mm-hmm children were, you know, kind of good. And, you know, I don't know, they, they just weren't allowed to experience things. And so I saw these experiences, stuff that I had internally inside myself probably on screen for the very first time, because you just, once again, just didn't have that, you know? Um, and so for me, I literally just like, I came in that movie theater. I feel like I came out a different person. It was just such a change for me that I was like, I wanted more of this. I was so hungry for that type of entertainment that just was not available ever. Um, You know, and it's also funny to me because some people just imprint on things differently. Like I went to that movie theater with my exact, with my brother, you know, he walked out completely unaffected by it. Whereas I walked out going like, Oh my God, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, From there television, you know, star blazers comes on. And that was also amazing because star blazers, the English version of Space Battleship Yamato, um, was clearly done by the same person. And it was clearly done in the same universe. And that was also something that I would not really experienced before, right? Cartoons and things didn't have <laughs> connected universes. And there was no one that was so much – like you didn't see the artist's hand so much on something like Scooby-Doo or something you know, like right. the Smurf that you were watching like that, where this was clearly – of work and a vision by an artist, you know, and it was just, yeah, it was astounding. So then I just became this absolute devotee of star blazers. And my, my mother still asked about this because she was like, like school, you normally would get up for school at seven and I would be miserable. Like I never wanted to get up to school. I was always late to class, but she was so thankful for star blazers cause it came on at six and I would get up every morning, <laughs> <laughs> every morning at five 45 just to watch star blazers
0: yep yep
2: yeah
0: yeah i had a i had a similar experience uh galaxy express 39 was also my uh entry point into uh did you see it with popeye i didn't see it with popeye i i actually like uh my my mother at the time in the 80s uh was working at a mom and pop video store And this was great because this meant I got to rent all of the free movies I wanted, uh, which, you know, back in the day, that was very expensive. So, Mm -hmm. like, I had the hookup and I was, like, uh, very, you know, into cartoons, as, you know, most young Mm -hmm. kids are. And so I was like, okay, well, I've rented every Disney movie. What can I rent now? And uh, Roger Corman's Galaxy Express was... uh, eventually something Mm. that was on the shelf and i was like what's this i don't know what this is but it looks interesting (laughs) and i rented it and you know how some kids their their big traumatic like uh movie thing was bambi
2: uh
1: Uh,
0: my traumatic movie thing was uh tetsuro's mom oh yeah and because before that i hadn't really like experienced a cartoon that dealt with like mortality let alone like the mortality of your mother like oh, yeah. the thought of your mom dying had never crossed my mind and i was like oh my god like i was like shocked and stunned i was like how how can that possibly be how could someone's mm-hmm. mother die how could graphically, he graphically
2: yeah he, gruesomely yeah I mean, he
0: just shoots her and she dies yeah. And like I think that just like kind of sparked uh, something in me that was like oh oh my gosh like you know there's this whole world of like uh, you know mortality and death and all this other stuff and like that sounds so like
3: <laughs> that
0: that sounds oh yeah uh, so so <clears throat> morbid but like it really like shows that like he wasn't afraid he wasn't talking down to kids cuz obviously mm-hmm. kids were watching this like he was like no like life and death is a real part of life and you know you're going to have to experience it somehow so why well, not in the safe space of a story you know I
2: mean life and death and also the other part of life honestly is sex i mean you saw Maytel tell naked you know yeah. and that was not something that you ever saw in a children's cartoon you know and i remember one of the things that was so amazing to me with three nine it's one of those things where you know in the the modern terms i think a lot of people would find it fairly problematic but Maytel kisses Tetsuro. i mean not only did as a young boy you're like wow look at this beautiful woman and then you're you're sort of like you know you're your whatever they call it, your self replacement avatar on the screen of the, you know, nine year old boy actually gets to smooch the big hottie, you know, it was just like, wow, I love, you know, it was it was just amazing and mind blowing to me.
0: Right, right. That, you know? that that was something that like uh you know, a little a little weird, a little different, but like yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, definitely something that left like such a huge impression on uh-huh. on people. And, you know, after that, it was like, uh, for me, like, I w- that was one of the, the first anime things I ever saw. Mm-hmm. And after that, I was kind of like you, I was like craving, I was like, where can I watch more stuff like this? Mm-hmm. Like, and that kind of like, catapulted me to like, you know, digging through videos and like really scrutinizing, like, mm, this kind of maybe looks like that thing mm-hmm. that I saw, maybe. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, from then on out, it was like, okay, where can I find more of this stuff? Uh, oh my
2: God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, same. <laughs> and like, and, you know, I, that was even like when I was watching it, this was pre video store day So it was like, you didn't have these options, you know, and I remember the first time that video stores sort of rose up and I, I found galaxy express there. It was amazing because it was like this weird half remembered thing from my childhood that I'd seen the one time and I got to watch it again. And it was just like, Oh, still so amazingly perfect.
0: Yeah. Even though like, you know, back then uh, we didn't have a choice in like uh, what was uh, edited and what wasn't. So Mm -hmm. it's so funny to go from (laughs) this version. And then like years later, um i at a, a different video store i saw the the viz release of galaxy express and i was like oh my god it's oh, a yeah. thing it's that thing that i saw when i was young <laughs> like it, you know it,
2: it, and it was, it was i was gonna say it was also interesting because there was like you know like the first i mean that was really the the birth of fandom like you know space battleship and auto was really the birth of anime fandom, not only in the US as well as in Japan, but it definitely like created there was a bond amongst people that were devotees of the show. Even if Mm -hmm. we didn't know that we were making fandom, you know? I remember I was this was like years later I was in high school and in high school I was just like I mean, I was a notorious punk rocker in the black leather with the Mohawk and the chains and blah 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 and all this other stuff. And, you know, in the eighties if you were punk rocker you were honor bound to, um, hate the preppy kids. You know, that's just what we did in the 80s. That's how we rolled. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's entire genres of movies about it. So if anyone here doesn't (laughs) understand it, go, go watch Pretty in Pink or something like that and Mm -hmm. you'll get all caught up. Um, but anyways, I was sitting there in class one time and I was like drawing spaceship Yamato on like my paper or something instead of doing the studying. And someone next to me looks over and he's like, star blazers. I'm like, yeah. And it was this super, you know, he was the big football dude. You know, the captain of the football team guy, and he also loves Star Blazers, and it sparked this ridiculous friendship between the two of us uh, that has lasted to this day. He was like, uh, he was the best man at my wedding, um, and you know, we just bonded over Star Blazers and Matsumoto for, for you know, all of our time in high school, and then when I started being a manga translator, we like I started because I started working on Miyuki Shigeru stuff, and like right when I started, like. Dan and I would text each other. It's like, Zach, you got to get it. You got to get the Holy Grail, you know. And the Holy Grail was always our code word for Space Battleship Yamato. You know, it's like, oh, you got to translate Space Battleship Yamato. Your whole life has been leading up to this moment. And when I finally got hired by Seven Seas to do that, which, by the way, Space Battleship Yamato was not originally going to be translated. So I put that one on the list when I got it. So I got to text Dan and I said, Dan, I did it. The Holy Grail. It was
0: just (laughs) awesome that's so cool. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, but that's how fandom works, right? You share mm-hmm. love of things, creates this community.
0: Yeah, it's it's true. It's true. I'm pretty sure that when I was in high school, I also made friends who like I'd be sitting there drawing like, you know, a uh, long impossible haired maytel and someone would mm-hmm. be like hey isn't that that thing that was on tv once and i'd be like yeah, this is the, the thing with the train and they'd be like mm-hmm. yeah and yep, yep. it's like oh we're we're going to be best friends now <laughs> <laughs> but to to go back a little bit um i think it now is be a perfect time to talk a little bit about mm-hmm. um, some of the basics of uh, Leiji Matsumoto's history uh, for those of you who maybe aren't so familiar like maybe you enjoy his works but you, you don't really know that much about him personally um, so Zach feel free to interject anytime you have anything sure. to add to to any of this so mm-hmm. so Leiji Matsumoto was born in 1938 as Akira Matsumoto and he enjoyed drawing even back at an early age and he was only 15 when he debuted his first published manga, which was called Honeybee Adventure in Manga Shonen magazine. So after graduating high school, he moved to Tokyo to start his dream of living as a professional artist.
2: So, I was going to say, like, I, I, one of the things I think is fun about Matsumoto as well mm-hmm. is that, um, and many people might know this or not, but a lot of people in their. When you start becoming a manga artist, one of the things that you do is you work as an assistant to other manga artists. Yes. Right? <clears throat> so you'll come on and you'll do, you know, you'll do like sort of a tour of duty, learning the ropes and everything. And um, Matsumoto Lady was an assistant to exactly one person in his entire life. And that person was Osamu Tezuka.
0: Yes. Which, yeah. like, what a person to be mm-hmm. uh, mentoring under. Yeah.
2: And this was when he was still in high school. Like, Tezuka apparently just like, was in, in town, you know, working on something and needed some help. So sort of, like, put a call out for any of the local man- manga clubs if there were any talented kids, you know, to come together and help him work out. And, you know, maybe yeah. just happened to be one of those kids.
0: Which is just, like, astounding to think about. And yeah. it, it <laughs> makes perfect sense because there's a lot of parallels between uh, the way that both of them did their manga Mm uh like you well and and also
2: that i was gonna say that's the reason why um between they did the manga and also the reason why leiji started out doing uh shoujo manga doing um girls manga because tezuka basically had the boys manga so wrapped up Mm -hmm. that there was no real entry for for leiji to get in there but um it was much easier to start out doing shoujo manga which was not unusual like mizuki shigeru also started out doing shoujo manga it was just a lower barrier of entry, I think that you would work up into doing the sort of boys manga. I saw, I saw a quote in the chat that I think is funny because yes, it's, um, (laughs) my lady and Tezuka also, um, like many people at the time enjoyed films and so they weren't that easy to get. So they had like a little, um, film club where they would import films just to show and watch. And they actually once got arrested for being accused of running an illegal like illegal film club to bring in movies to show so yeah tessica and and lady had to go to jail and you know protest their innocence that they weren't doing it for profit they were just film nerds trying to get together to watch movies
0: we just like movies we promise (laughs) (laughs) could you imagine
2: oh my god
0: i would i would have loved to see their mugshots
2: i know so funny
0: <laughs> oh my gosh yeah yeah and it wasn't um uh, uncommon back then uh in the beginning of shoujo manga to have uh, uh male uh shoujo artists
2: yeah um, I, matsumoto or maybe you want to say that um so when he was doing shoujo manga he had no experience so he didn't know how um he didn't know how girls got dressed when he was having to draw a picture because it was nothing he'd ever seen or experienced in his life before. It was like, how does like a girl wake up in the morning and like get dressed? I don't understand how that works. And I'd be like, figure out the logistics of that.
0: Yeah. Back then you couldn't just like look up, uh, no. you know, reference images or yeah. something like we can now. <laughs> they had to use their imagination. Yeah, I know. And you can't exactly like go to a girl and be like, "Hey, how do you get dressed yeah, in the think morning?"
2: I, yeah, how do you get dressed in the morning? Can I watch? I just want to see what it's like.
0: <laughs> but like, oh, what a what a fun <laughs> fun idea. Yeah. Just like just <laughs> the idea of him sitting there thinking, hmm, "How would I do this?" <laughs> uh-huh. But um, in 1961, he actually married fellow artist Miyakumaki who not only was a pioneer of shoujo uh, manga herself, but also of Gekika and Lady Komi. And uh, she was actually the creator of Chan, the doll, which is an iconic doll in Japan, sort of like akin to Barbie, which uh, I don't think a lot of people were aware of this because like... uh, Maki gets, you know, mentioned as also being a manga artist, but like she made Lika Chan.
2: Oh, I know, which is like being the inventor of Barbie. I mean, talk about an absolute power couple. I mean, those two were equally great in their own right. Mm
0: -hmm. And there's even stories about how like she was considered like the beauty of shoujo manga back then. And like everyone thought she was so beautiful and talented and amazing. Like, even Tezuka was like, wow, she's. She's gorgeous and, and so talented and, and amazing. And, uh, you know, uh, Matsumoto was the one that ended up marrying her. And together her. they collaborated on many, many projects and even founded a uh, studio, Legisa, together.
2: Mm-hmm. Which, which is, of course, always funny because, you know, it, it mirrors Matsumoto's own work where the goofy little potato person marries the stunning <laughs> beauty, you
0: know, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it always made me wonder if that's why he always kind of drew his like his avatar as like that you know funny little potato guy
2: well i mean yeah i mean he definitely like you know that is his sort of like self insert character you know mm-hmm. i mean like he he is the little goofy dude you know <laughs> yes. um, and and i think this is like this is one of those things that i i think is common knowledge but just in case anyone doesn't know it but i mean the the very famous like you know the lazy woman, the tall, willowy woman, and everything. That also, I mean, that was based on an actress named uh, Marianne Hold uh, that he saw when he was a young boy and went to see a movie. And he saw like Marianne Hold in this film, and it was called, um, gosh, what it was, it was actually, he reused it for the title of uh, My Youth in Arcadia because the film was like My Youth in Something or Other. But anyways, he saw Marianne Hold. He's like. Bong. That is the perfect woman. I will now draw her forever and ever and, <laughs> ever, and ever and ever. So, yeah.
0: Yep. Yep. <laughs> Which is, you know, uh, a a lot of artists back in the day. Like that was pretty common. Like I know that uh, Izumi Matsum- Matsumoto, the creator of uh, Kimigari Orange Road, mm-hmm. uh, he saw. Um, oh gosh, what's her name in um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High? And was like, her, she's the most beautiful girl in the world. Yep. And, uh, you know, that was uh, his big inspiration for Madoka, Madoka mm-hmm. Ayakawa. He was like, yeah, yeah. that's her. Oh, wrong. Yes, yep, Phoebe Cates. Is. Yes. Yep. He was like, Phoebe oh, Cates, the most beautiful woman in the world.
2: <laughs> I mean, they're not wrong. So, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. That's right. the, the film was called Mariana of My Youth. That's right. Someone just posted in the chat. So, yeah.
0: Yes, yes.
2: Which later became a, you know, my youth in Arcadia.
0: Yep. I mean, <laughs> it's it's so interesting when you read about Leiji Matsumoto and like all of his inspirations, and they make perfect sense. He he wore his inspirations on his sleeve. Uh, he he was such a a big fan of like film and art and music and poetry, and that really comes through in like pretty much everything that he ever oh, yeah. did
2: yeah um so continue on your tour sorry
0: i no no this back. is great uh in 1965 he adopted the pen name leiji matsumoto that we're all familiar with today uh and he continued to use it for the rest of his life and while he got his start like you said working in shojo manga his big breakthrough hit was otoko oidan in 1972 which is a series about a poor ronin uh, man working on his entry exams to get into college in Tokyo. Which that's never been uh, a lot of his uh, his uh, older manga hasn't been translated into English. But uh, I've always been curious about that one because the artwork looks <laughs> so fun and interesting. It's, oh, it's yeah,
1: it's, it's great.
0: It's basically like. Yeah. Uh, uh, proto uh, tochiro mm-hmm. <laughs> a much skinnier tochiro.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: because the poor guy can't eat very much. <laughs> but still, that little potato faced guy. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, he
2: mani- like he manifested a lot of his work, you know, like that one as well. And then, like, I was recently rereading a uh, and it was just it's just interesting how he had such a queer vision that he wanted to do from mm-hmm. that time, and just started sort of like piecing it and piecing it together.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I love the artwork of Sexeroid. It reminds mm-hmm. me so much of, like, Barbarella.
2: Oh, yeah. Which yeah. I'm
0: sure he saw.
2: Mm, of course.
0: And, and, like, I mean, back then, who didn't see Barbarella, right? Um, but, like, every time I see, like, any of his pieces from that um, that work, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. It's just so gorgeous. Like, mm-hmm. I would love just, like, art prints of some of those pieces that he did yeah. because it's like such a great encapsulation of like that time and mm-hmm. what some of the stuff he drew best which was like cool beautiful spacey ladies and technology
2: mm-hmm. well and sexroid also has a lot of his themes that would become so um important you know in stuff like galaxy express with the idea of artificial artificiality and humanity and like how much could you replace a person with machinery and still call them a person. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So, uh, as someone who lived through Japan during World War II, Matsumoto explored his feelings about war, mortality, um, life, technology, like you said, in many of his works through the lens of science fiction, uh, which was a new concept back then. Like, science fiction manga wasn't, like, super popular at first
2: no although that was what allowed it to be sold in the united states because star wars was such a huge huge hit Mm -hmm. and so when star wars being such a massive hit you know people were looking for other sort of like you know similar things that could be easily sold and marketed i mean that's obviously how space battleship yamato yamato became star blazers because they're like oh it has star in the title maybe we can trick some stupid boys into thinking that they're the same thing and hey yay it worked um, yeah
4: exactly yeah.
2: and it was all um, like even the earlier stuff because this was long before you know terms like anime or manga even really had existed in the English language and so all of his mm-hmm. early work is marketed as Japanese science fiction which I think is kind of cool actually
0: yeah yeah totally uh, Star Blazers in the US is, is uh, like you said a prime example of that um mm-hmm. along with his other works so like even though his contributions to space battleship Yamato like he wasn't the creator or anything but, no but the fact that like <laughs> in
2: fact he fought with the creator quite a
0: <laughs> quite a lot
2: yeah quite a lot um, uh, largely over the sort of you know militaristic themes that were being introduced into Yamato also mm-hmm. I just well, saw a question wasn't Yamato the show that populates the term anime uh, not really I mean The term anime didn't really exist in the English language until much, much later. What, what popularized the term anime really was video stores in America needed a title on the shelf on which to put these. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was Japanimation or anime. You kind of picked your poison of what you wanted to label your shelf. But that was, that was decades after Yamato. Mm -hmm,
0: mm But, um, uh, the, uh, the, the contributions that he made to space battleship Yamato, like it would be a completely different series if he hadn't been involved. Oh
2: yeah, he did all the cool stuff yes. for sure. <laughs> yeah,
0: and so to to see things that he actually you know created, uh, so space pirate uh, Captain Harlock, mm-hmm. Galaxy Express Three Queen Emeraldis, like once people got into Star Blazers or Yamato. Like that was pretty much the next things that people would be like, okay, mm-hmm. what else can I get from this person? Yeah.
2: Well, which makes it so amazing that they didn't exist. You know I mean? I think it's so fascinating that we got, you know, like Tim Eldred's English version of Captain Harlock. Like it was easier for them. I'm not exactly sure. I don't really know too much of the background behind it. I think there might've been some licensing shenanigans that went on as well, but um, you know, they made a complete original English language comic decades before translating the the original. I yeah, I think is quite interesting.
0: Yeah, uh, that happened a lot back in the day because I know there yeah. was there was an English created like Speed Racer comic. There mm-hmm. was an English created Astro Boy comic. Yeah, uh, there was an English created uh, Robotech comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it was. Yeah, oh, go ahead. I was
2: going to say, to this day, there's never been a release of the original Space Battleship Yamato, which I find crazy because it seems like that would be the lowest of low hanging fruit for people looking for licenses.
0: Yeah, yeah, you would think so. I, it makes me wonder if there's like uh, stuff behind the scenes that makes it hard to license.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I wonder about that, too.
0: Because uh, otherwise, I'm like, you know, it feels like that would be a no-brainer because so many people were into Star Blazers back in the day.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
0: and I know so many people, like, uh, so many younger fans were, like, excitedly telling their parents, Hey, did you know that they made a remake of Star Blazers? It's called mm-hmm. uh, Space Battleship Yamato 2199 <laughs> <laughs> Which is really good. Uh, it is
2: good. Yeah, I was impressed with it. I was really, I was really worried about it um, because I was like, "Oh, this is, they'll never make it as good." I'm like, "It's it's really good." I yeah, really
0: it it yeah. is actually really good. Uh, it's not the original though, but it's still oh. pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's still really good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which you know, I'm glad finally got out of like the weird licensing it was in before, and they were finally able to license it properly. Uh, with like a dub oh, no. and everything,
2: I did because I translated the first couple volumes of that when it was coming up. and I did like the fact that it never got finished because to me that's the hallmark of a Lady Matsumoto work. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's got it's got to never be finished. You, no matter what <laughs> he's working on, you've got to get like to the sec, you know, just a random page in the middle of the story, and then you're just done, and there's no more. I mean, Queen Emeraldis, Captain Harlock, Yamato, all of them. In, all of them end in exactly the same way. You know, he doesn't really end anything. He just mid-story-wise kind of abandons it, which I love as frustrating as it is because it's just so much a part of, of Matsumoto, you know, and how he works with this whole his whole idea of the, you know, the wa, the the wheel of time that spins and his ridiculous concept that he made up just basically because he couldn't keep his continuity straight.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that he kind of shares with Tezuka where he's like, oh, well, know, yeah, I'll get around to finishing that maybe someday. Yeah. And yeah. then doesn't.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. He always, he always would talk about it. He's like, oh, one of these days I'll produce, you know, the, the grand unified field theory of the Ladyverse that pulls it all together. And I'm like, no, you won't. <laughs> and that's fine.
0: <laughs> it's okay.
2: It's totally fine. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but, um... Yeah, like I was saying, you know, uh, also you know, going back to Tezuka, he would use a lot of his characters in his Leiji verse over and over again, similar to Mm -hmm. the Tezuka Star system. Yeah, Uh, you know, characters sometimes playing different parts and different things, but always in stories uh, Mm -hmm. that he created, and uh, that was always something that I thought was like so interesting because, uh, you know, other than Tezuka, like back then, no one was really doing that.
2: Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I think a lot of people did copy that of Tezuka. I mean Mizu Ishigeru obviously did as well. You know, I think Oh, that that's
1: true. That's,
2: that's mm-hmm. not entirely uncommon. Uh Joji Manabe is another one I can think of that does that. So I think the reason the characters are so, or character types is so rare, but I think what he did different from Tezuka's star system, really, is he literally would reuse the same characters, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He'd have, like, you know, one volume where, you know, Maytel, and as I think a lot of people have seen those too, like Maytel and Emeraldus, oh, they're twin sisters in this version. Oh, in this version, you know, they're not related at all and fighting with each other, you know? (laughs)
0: Right. Uh,
2: Yeah. So...
0: Uh, Ishinomori, uh, someone brought up Ishinomori yeah. also, uh, did something similar. Um, I'm not entirely familiar with all of Ishinomori's works, but that wouldn't surprise me because they kind of came up around the same time. Yeah.
2: Right? I think it was, the, it was a common thing to do at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really founded by Tezuka.
0: hmm hmm It was a cool new idea and, and people kind of took off with it. It sounds like. Yeah.
2: You know, I was going to say also, it's worth noting, I don't remember We said this when we first started, but I think we've gone rambling as well. So (laughs) I'm just going to throw the point in here that Matsumoto was also, um, you know, speaking of relationship with Tezuka, he is one of the most prominent, what I tend to call like the second wave of manga, because he was the first of that wave of what I call fan turned pro. So fan turned pro is just basically someone who grew up a comics fan and then made it their life goal to become someone who works in comics as opposed to people like Mizuki Shigeru and Osamu Tezuka, Tezuka Osamu, who were basically creating comics, you know? So they didn't grow up wanting to be comic artists per se. They just fell into it as careers because that was a way to make a living and then created manga. And so Matsumoto was the first of that wave to just grow up on comics, dreaming of becoming a professional comic artist. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that was a... That was kind of a new frontier back then, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he, they were they people like him were paving the way. uh yeah, when uh, it came well, to I this re- kind of stuff.
2: Paving the way, kind of, but also they were the first to walk the way that had been paved.
0: Mm-hmm, because
2: mm-hmm. Tezuka and like Tezuka musically had somewhat, yeah. So someone just pointed out exactly what I would use in American comic terms, like Matsumoto Ledi is is the Roy Thomas, like Roy Thomas was. the the first of the fan terms pro Marvel comics, you know, so he would be that sort of like generation, you know, he wasn't the groundbreaker, um, but that would have been the guys that came before him. But, you know,
0: Mm -hmm. he certainly Mm -hmm. was
2: the refiner of all those paths that had been made.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, Matsumoto gave us like all of these incredible creations over the years and his work gained popularity as we have been talking about, like not just in Asia, but like in mm-hmm. Europe, in South America, in Canada, in the U S uh, basically anywhere that they were like, Hey, these cartoons are like science fiction. And like you said, uh, star Wars is really mm-hmm. big right now. Maybe we can <laughs> get some, you know, uh,
1: yeah.
0: uh, some viewing numbers on this TV show. If we bring it over, And, you know, that also led to, like, uh, Europe is always, uh, like, especially France and and Italy, they've always been ahead of us when it comes to putting anime on television. Mm -hmm. So they had all the good stuff on TV. They had, you know, Harlock as Albatore. They Mm -hmm. had uh, Space Battleship Yamato. They had Galaxy Express 39. They had all of those great things on TV. And so there's, like, whole generations of people who grew up with that stuff on TV. Uh, which I'm kind of jealous about.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, me too. I trust me as a translator, I'm so jealous of France's market. Like I, yeah, there's so much more French manga readers than there are English language manga readers. And they, because of that, they get to translate everything. Oh yeah. It's jealous.
0: It, it's true. It's true. Um, but all of these things, like we were saying earlier, had like such a huge effect on the English speaking fandom. Uh, One of the first recorded cosplay gatherings in the U.S. was largely people dressed as Lazyverse characters. Oh, yeah. And, like, fans made zines. Some of the first uh, anime-related fan fiction was related to Star Blazers and Galaxy Express and Harlock. Uh, Even early anime conventions, like we were talking about, would not have existed without these people getting together who were huge fans of Star Blazers mm-hmm. and going, where can I meet other people that like this thing? Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it was on par with like how like Star Trek, like mm-hmm. kind of became like the big science fiction, like fandom thing. But for, for anime, it was Star Blazers. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I, I,
2: think, I think somebody posted it, the photos in the chat, but I mean like, I think it's WorldCon. 80, 1983, I believe. I could be wrong on the exact date. Had what was probably the first ever anime cosplay meetup, you know, in the mm-hmm. United States, where a bunch of people all dressed as Matsumoto characters. So you had, you know, you had your Queen Elmaraldis in there. You had some Harlocks. You had, you know, a really awesome desklock, You know, uh, yeah, 1983 in Baltimore WorldCon had this massive Matsumoto cosplay meetup, and I, you know, that's a, that's. That's something I, I always want that history to be kept alive because you hear a lot of people who really think that anime manga fandom started like in the nineties with Toonami with Sailor Moon and with a uh, Dragon Ball Z and uh, that's just simply not true. Um, yeah. Anime yeah. fandom had been going on for at least a good solid twenty years prior to to that segment of the that was really this once again second wave of anime fandom really hitting there. Um, yeah. yeah, someone I did see someone ask if Matsumoto had a, any assistants that went up on the fame and i think you know shintani kauru is probably the most famous of him he did a series called area 88 yes. and uh, shintaro was very famous for doing the lady gauges—those gauges those gauges that is on every single one of his artwork right you know just all those little circles and clocks and compasses and everything shintaro as lady's assistant had to had to fill in the lady gauges <laughs>
0: Which, like, if you look at Area 88, which is also another manga I wish would get uh, retranslated, I know Viz attempted to back in the day, and I really enjoyed it. But, like, you can tell, like, from his art style, like, it's obviously unique, but you there's little, like, you can see sort of the, the influence that oh, yeah. uh, Matsumoto yeah. had on his art, uh, yeah. truly, and it's really, really quite good.
2: I mean, even just the hairstyle, like when we were kids, we used to call that hero hair. Yes. You could always tell who was the hero in any of those anime <laughs> series, because they always had that swept over one eye, you know, the mm-hmm. hero hair.
0: It's, oh, it's it's beautiful. Very, very good. Uh, <laughs> and of yeah. course, all the ladies have that beautiful long hair.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, happens. and I, th- I think, like, Matsumoto's reach is so I you were mentioning this early in it. his reach is so global you know because he created these fandoms not only you know Space Battleship Yamato is credited with really creating anime fandom it was probably the first uh what they would call a blockbuster movie that had ever happened in Japan where people mm-hmm. were literally lined up around the blocks to go see it um but Matsumoto himself was very aware and I think I would say um respectful of his global audiences you know i've seen interviews with him before where he would specifically talk to people he's like okay well how is this going to play out in france or something i don't want to do anything that's going to be offensive to people on a world audience because my work is intended for a world audience and so he was very conscious conscious and respectful of of his global audience and wanted to make stuff that didn't necessarily appeal just to japanese people but appealed to uh, this human experience that was really at the core of what he was doing.
0: Yeah. And I, re- you can, you can really tell that like, cause he was dealing with all these themes in his work that were very universal. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like anyone could pick up one of his works, even if they're not necessarily a sci-fi fan and like, just read his dialogue and be like, mm-hmm. Oh wow. He, he really has something to say. Yeah. with these and these really resonate uh, e- even years decades later and I think that's the mark of like a really good writer is that mm-hmm. he he really was thinking about the universal human experience mm-hmm. uh, yeah.
2: And, yeah and his work also I think like you said it has a lot of depth and it has a lot of emotional depth and it has almost zero logical depth which is another thing I love about <laughs> Matsumoto like his work is all heart and no head like it's just 100% emotions and I love the fact that it makes not a lick of logical sense like and and that's great because Matsumoto's universe is dominated by what they call the rule of cool right if it's cool then that is all the explanation you need you know Mm -hmm. if you are a woman named Emeraldus and you get shipwrecked on some planet and you dig up an ancient spaceship that's been sitting there for thousands of years running on an automatic pilot. And that ship happens to be named the Queen Emeraldus. That's just <laughs> perfectly fine. You know, that level of astounding coincidence is just perfectly fine in the Matsumoto verse. And I love it.
0: Right. I, And I just love that he described his work as as, as boys' romance.
2: Yeah, boys' romance. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and as a boy watching, it was absolutely boys' romance. Oh my god, so much. Yeah. But I mean, clearly not just boys' romance it appeals to women as well.
0: Uh, yeah, exactly. But I love yeah. the fact that he was... It was romantic in the the literary sense, not yeah. like the, the literal sense. Yeah. Not the
2: kiss-kiss-hug-hug hug sense of romance. But yeah, the more yes. like the grand romance. Yeah.
0: Yeah, like grand romantic literature. Mm-hmm. And like... I don't think there's anything more like romantic and fantastical than like space pirates, uh, who who pilot giant old timey like galleon ships, Mm
2: -hmm. oh
1: yeah,
0: or a train, an old time steam engine (laughs) that flies through space,
2: space yeah, or a zeppelin, or you know whatever it is, yeah,
0: like. I think that was something that really caught my imagination as a, mm-hmm. as a, as a kid, I was just like, oh, yep. wow, a train that flies through space. Like, yep. that's so cool. Like it didn't, it's it's like you said, it didn't have to make sense because it was yeah. cool. Yeah. It didn't it was, make sense
2: at all. It was great. Yeah. And you needed a ticket and like, Oh, it was and like, even then at galaxy express, it just made like, there's nothing about it. makes no logical sense. Just, no. As soon as you part to think about anything, just don't, don't think, feel, just feel it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's all vibes. It runs yeah. completely on vibes. <laughs> and that's great because, like, I, I feel like a lot of times creators can get too bogged down with, like, oh, is this going to make sense? It doesn't always have to make sense. If it makes sense in your heart, I feel like that's, like, <laughs> the most important part. Like, is it cool? <laughs> can we run with it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's just, like, one of the the best parts about his work like i just love that it's it's so so amazing to just like you know <laughs> sit there and think like what what do you think was going through his head when he was just like mm, what if i made a train that flew through space right
2: <laughs> i know yeah i know and just all of a and like i love like like seeing some of his older work how he was clearly just sort of Working out ideas, you know. I mean, that is one of the cool things in the 70s. Um, Captain Harlock is like they, they printed some of his like older Captain Harlock strips when he was just kind of trying to figure stuff out. And so he used his printed work as basically his sandbox to flip ideas around until he got it up, you know, got it all coordinated in his head. I love that too.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like to go back a little bit. I, I loved how, you know, he was a huge inspiration to so many that came after mm-hmm. him. Uh, so obviously, there's things that, you know, we can kind of assume were like parts of them were greatly inspired by his work, like Gundam or Macross or Gunbuster, you know, mm-hmm. th- things that we probably have to think in part. Uh, for his inspiration. But there's also like artists like Nanase Okawa, who's the head writer of Clamp. And she was a huge fan of Leiji Matsumoto and mm-hmm. Galaxy Express 3.9. And she even had, um, they they got Rintaro, the director of Galaxy Express to direct the movie adaptation of their movie adaptation Mm -hmm. x or uh known in america's x 1999 Mm -hmm. uh which that was a huge deal for her because she was like oh my god like seeing galaxy express the movie as a as a child she was like you know rintaro was just this genius uh who Mm -hmm. who brought this movie to life and she just was so ecstatic to get to work with him because he, she was like, you know, he, he brought you know, M- Matsumoto's work to life in like, such a beautiful way. And, uh, you know, he would do the same thing for my work. And that's just like an honor. Oh, um,
1: yeah.
0: And even Sailor Moon creator Naoko Takeuchi grew up watching Yamato and Harlock. And she admitted that the way she draws girls was highly influenced by <laughs> Matsumoto's art which I thought was so funny because I never really saw that before. But, you know, after I read that in an interview she did a long time ago, I was like, you know, I can kind of see it because she, she draws her women with like, you know, impossibly long legs and these wispy long Mm -hmm. arms and fingers, and they have beautiful long hair and, and big, you know, shoujo eyes. And uh, when she does like watercolor work, that's like, a specific, specifically her stuff where they're like in space like her watercolor work looks very similar to like uh what we think of for those like big beautiful uh pieces that he's done of like you know Maytel with the with the stars behind her and you know all that stuff and uh i i just thought that was great because you know uh, uh, harlock is a is a series where like you know captain harlock himself is like very like Uh, A romantic, you know, uh, hero who fights for justice and, and, you know, things like that. And, you know, Sailor Moon is a hero who she outright says she's a champion of love and justice. Mm -hmm. And, like, when when I read about, like, oh, such a huge Lady Matsumoto fan, I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. I can see it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) Like, you know, all these other things that she... Uh, is a was a huge inspiration for her, like you know, Super Sentai and things, obviously. Yep. But this was like a less obvious thing that makes perfect sense when mm-hmm. you when you uh, after you learn about it.
2: Yeah, well, and even other, uh, you know, even going further with the inspiration to you know, like Re- Rebecca Sugar doing Steven Universe, <gasps> yes! basically put a full full-fled- full fledged undisguised Reiji Matsumoto character right in there. You know.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. One of her characters basically. Yeah. Uh, turns into harlock yeah (laughs) which is uh, the minute i saw that uh, promo for that Mm. episode where where that character like is suddenly like (laughs) now i'm captain harlock i was like are you kidding me
4: well
2: uh, yeah and she has um i think it's uh, blue diamond is the name of the character is also i mean just clearly Clearly a Matsumoto character.
0: Yeah, clearly Maytel. <laughs> she oh looked, yeah, she looks so much like Maytel. It's yep. it's oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> I loved that. I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, I I love all the anime inspiration that went into that show. It was just absolutely amazing. <laughs> but yeah. like, you know, we could go on and on and on about like, you know, how influential and amazing
2: oh yeah Lazy
0: Matsumoto I mean, is. Uh because I, I mean
2: I'd say like like for sheer influence, like his influence on the modern world is probably easily on par with George Lucas. I mean if you really look for through sure. the cultural DNA of how far he's he's spread and through how many people you know to the extent where like you said there's probably a lot of people deeply influenced by Matsumoto that people don't even realize, you know? hmm Um mm-hmm
0: definitely yeah. he,
2: he basically created much of the visual language of the mod and i think of the modern world and also just his whole concept of the rule of cool yeah i mean that is just that dominates to my mind the best of japanese animation you know that's the stuff that's really great the stuff that's really emotionally driven instead of logically driven you know the stuff that just hits you right in the feels is the stuff that i love about it
0: yeah and that's not even going into like I'm sure there's so many like French and European comic artists that mm-hmm. I don't even oh know about. Yeah, that have been absolutely heavily yeah. influenced by Allegi Matsumoto.
2: I, yeah, times a million. I'm sure in France <laughs> because he's so much more popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and and France has like some amazing comics like we've talked oh, yeah. about earlier. Like they 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 read way more comics than we do.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I believe France did their own um original French version of Albatore as well actually.
0: Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Which is no surprising.
0: Yeah, no no surprise at all. Yeah. Uh I mean and now we have um wh- who is a Blaze um uh, mm-hmm. released their uh Captain Harlock mo- uh comic that yep. I think uh was done with French artists as well.
2: Yeah, I believe that was. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think that was a translation of the original French one. Yes, done.
0: Yeah. which uh, I haven't uh, gotten around to reading that myself, but I've heard it's actually, like, a really, really fun comic uh, mm-hmm. that was, like, officially licensed through um, Matsumoto, like, with his permission, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen some of the art, though, and the art looks stunning.
2: Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, it looks uh, really good. Yeah. So,
0: like, all these amazing, <laughs> like, French artists who are like, mm-hmm. ah, I finally get to draw alvatar <laughs> <laughs> So I can I can only imagine how how great that was for them. Oh yeah! But uh, before we take like a little quick break before we get into yeah. the second half, um, I wanted to open up the floor to chat to see if there were any yeah. questions that you might have had. Um, because like I love Leiji Matsumoto, but Zach Davison probably knows. More details and more things than I do. So if there's anything specifically that you ever wanted to ask, right now would be a really great time.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to. Yeah. And I'll throw out one of my other favorite bits of Matsumoto trivia because it cracks me up when I found it out. Is, um, you know, why is Emeraldus named Emeraldus when she is dressed clearly in all red? And it's because she made a mistake and he thought that emeralds were the redstone
0: yes i remember reading yeah. that
2: which still just cracks me up <laughs> uh, because otherwise she would have been called ruby which is clearly not nearly as cool as emeraldis no i yeah. always
0: wondered that when i was a kid too i was like why is she Emeraldus when she's not wearing any green
2: <laughs> See, i always assumed i always assumed and associated her with um like uh gosh what's the name from hunchback of Notre Dame, Emer- Emerald, not Emer- Esmerelda, Esmeralda, Esmeralda. Esmeralda. ah, yeah. ah,
0: there you go.
2: So I always thought that's what it, what it was allusion to was Esmeralda, but I'm like, no. And I th- thought he was just spelling it wrong. I was like, somebody's spelling that weird. <laughs> and then I found out. No, he just he just made a uh, he made a mistake with his English, and he got the name of the stone wrong, which was a very happy accident. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's do some uh, some questions.
0: Uh, favorite matsumoto character clockwork giant panda uh, is uh, asking
2: uh, my favorite is just i love queen emeraldis like she is just my absolute favorite um i just love her so much she's so good yeah if i had to try to pick a second one i might i might pick tori the bird who is also just fantastic.
0: oh mr bird yeah <laughs> um as, uh, Emeraldus was one of my first um, as a child one of the first female characters that I was like oh, she's so beautiful I have these weird feelings and I'm not sure what they are <laughs> um, and her and Harlock uh, I was both like I had these weird crushes on them but I didn't understand what a crush was at the time mm-hmm. uh, I was just like they're both very cool and oh, they, l- they look great and I love them <laughs>
2: Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, I probably the same way with me and Maytel. I feel like I'm not, I'm not sure which is my first cartoon crush. It was either Maytel or it would have been, uh, you know, Nova Yuki from uh, Starblade. Oh, Starblade, yeah. You know, but it was it definitely a Matsumoto character.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, Lady Wolf. Truly the by experience. <laughs> yes. Yes, as a child I was like, I don't understand these feelings. <laughs> I just think she's very beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Um, somebody <laughs> let's see, let me scroll up. I'm I missed a thing. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Oh, Daryl Surratt is asking, Hey Zach, is there by any chance a book on essays on Lady Matsumoto? <laughs>
2: Yes, there is. Um, yeah, we did, we did the the Matsumoto book and this was one of those things where, you know, I'm so glad that we got to do it before he died. You know, we did the, the Matsumoto book with the essays in it and it was just awesome. Um, you know, shout out to Darren who, and Helen who put the whole thing together, but it was just great to be a part of and to, you know, put together a really good study of his work and just an examination of him, um, and to have that available and for him to actually uh, be able to um, see that, I think, was just great.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I have a digital copy of the book. I think it is absolutely fantastic. Um, if you can, if anyone out there hasn't read it yet, it is so, so good. And I highly recommend it if you want to, you know, absorb more about Leiji Matsumoto in these just fantastic essays uh, written by some fantastic people that you might actually be hearing more of uh, later on.
2: Yeah. I mean, I you know, it was such a great experience. I, I'd love to do another one if it was ever put together, you know, um, it's just, yeah, super awesome.
0: So, uh, and so I highly you...
2: encourage everyone oh. to pick it up because the best way to get a volume two is for everyone to buy volume one.
0: This is true. This is true. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so go out there and get it.
0: Uh, C. Francis Run asked, any overlooked or underrated Matsumoto works that you would recommend more people seek out?
2: Oh, that is a tough question. So, I mean, the sad fact is, is there's just not that much Matsumoto work that's been translated into English. I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. as sad as that makes me, you know, like if I was going to say like the one Matsumoto work that I wish everyone would read, it's for me once it again. It's Queen Emeraldus. I think it's just uh, a wonderful work that shows everything that he has. Um, I also think it's personally on a personal level the best translation I've ever done or am likely to ever do. So I would do that. Uh, but I mean, there's like there's such there's such a treasure trove of stuff still there, but none of it's translated. You know, like I would probably do like you know Nebulong no Yubiwa. You know, the Ring of the Nebulong is awesome because I love it's one that brings together all of his characters, you know, brings together the whole Ladyverse. verse. Uh, queen millennia is great. Um, I love queen millennia. Also, you know, Sexoroid I like a lot. Although that's one I'm reading right now. G um, Joe, like shadow warrior is great. But he's just, he's just got a ton of great comics out there. Um, I love the fact also that like discotheque is now making so much of his stuff available. And that has just been, Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. i also love, so Tech is the first, I guess they're not really an anime company. I'm not sure what you call them, video company. Um, anyway, so the first video company to ever actually coordinate with me to make sure that the comics and the animation actually match up linguistically. So I created a Matsumoto Bible for them to do all of their, uh, translations on to make sure that, The English language Matsumoto-verse was consistent between all of the comics as well as all of the uh, animation.
0: Yes, I think that's such a great touch. And I'm really glad that uh, they were able to do that. Uh, I know they're really good about doing that with uh, uh, a lot of the the series they work on across the board. They want to make sure everything is uh, uniform.
2: Yeah, they just do such an amazing job.
0: Yes, just absolutely great. Mm-hmm. And uh, those Blu-rays that they've been putting out, I, I only have the movies so far, but uh, they are just absolutely gorgeous and stunning. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. the, the, let's see. I've bought the movies uh, one, two, three, four different times now. Because, <laughs> <laughs> let's see, I bought the Roger Corman one. I bought the this oh, yeah. release. I bought... Discotheques dvds and then when they were uh putting out the blu-rays i bought the blu-rays so yeah that's four four different times i've bought it
2: yeah i've ordered i've owned galaxy express in every single home video format that's ever come out and if the new one ever comes out i'll buy it in that one too so that's all with me
0: yep (laughs) they're gonna get my money (laughs) either way
2: yeah (laughs) <laughs> um also you know seriously i that we did that was kind of overlooked even though i actually thought it was really really good actually with the captain harlock dimensional voyage also so i would recommend people looking at checking out that one that was also like way better way better done than i thought it was going to be
0: oh the art in that is so gorgeous too beautiful
2: artwork yeah uh, As- i
0: i was really uh taken aback when i checked that out i was like wow mm-hmm. this artist that they got for it is so good
2: it is, yeah.
0: I, I the, was not expecting classic,
2: it. No, and in the classic Matsumoto style, it is unfinished. So that is always part of the joy. That is the feature, <laughs> not the bug of the Matsumoto universe. Yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. But uh, thank you so much, Zach, for yeah. for coming on the stream and talking about Leiji Matsumoto with me. It has been... Uh, just a joy to get to talk about something we both love so much. So much, uh, and this this creator that we just like without him might not be in this like fandom space. Uh, like oh, yeah. our, our lives would have probably looked so much different.
2: Oh, so different! Yeah, I'm so appreciative of just the work and you know just him and also you know being able to work on him was something you know to work on his stuff was literally a lifelong dream come true. You know from when I was a little kid. So Mm. Um, I was also going to say on the off chance anyone is going to be in Boston. I'm going to be in anime Boston in a few weeks. And we're also doing a lady Matsumoto tribute um, panel there as well.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Which should be really nice. Yeah. If, if anyone's going to anime Boston, definitely check it out since I can't be there, please go (laughs) in my steed and have extra, extra fun for me.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I will be there. And I don't know. Was there any other questions? I'm always happy to do more unless we want to move on to the next one.
0: Um. Let's see. Any other questions before we take a little break? Let's see. <laughs> and this isn't the end of the stream quite yet, folks. No. We still have a whole bunch of stuff. I just wanted to uh, take a quick break because, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure people have... <laughs> Yeah. time to uh you know take a little rest take a little stretch maybe a bathroom break
2: yep 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 all that stuff oh hey someone whose guest will be my moder- moderator i don't know i'm guessing it's lord darkside 999 but i don't know who that is so <laughs> i you know i'm of the generation where i never could come up with cool names for stuff so i'm always just my own name everywhere i go mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. did matsumoto ever take a stab at comedy uh yeah like Gosh. um Otu- I mean, Otoko Oidon is kind of yeah. a comedy, right?
2: Otoko Oidan is a comedy. I feel like a lot of his works are comedy. You know, they have comedic elements in them for sure. I mean, like, you know, like just going through Harlock, I mean Yadaran is clearly comic relief. I mean Oh yeah, for
1: sure. Just
2: an absolute goofball, you know. <laughs> um so I feel like he always had comedy in everything he did. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I don't don't, he's he's more popular for his like you know not total comedy things but he has he has done a few things that were like strictly comedy like the Otoko Oidan I know is a comedy um I'm sure there's probably others that are like Mm -hmm. less popular that he's done um but uh that's the one that I'm pretty sure okay Lord
2: Darkside 999 now I know who you are (laughs) you're supposed to be a clue yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah, no, he has, and he's. I mean, he's also you know like another one of my funny um, Matsumoto quote, quotes. I think is so funny because he also used to, you know, he used to do some more sexy stuff. And he was talking to a young artist one time. And he was like, you know, my big reg- my big regret now is that I've become too respectable to do anything. You know, do anything naughty.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Aww.
2: <laughs> like sorry, lady. Yep, you are. You're the grandmaster now. You're respectful. I also think, you know, another thing about Matsumoto, um, and this is just sort of a weird generale, gener, generational thing with manga artists, but his wave, like Matsumoto Leiji and also like Kazuo Mezu, and, you know, even the old forerunners before him, like, you know, Mizugi and Tezuka, they were very much celebrities, you know? Um, Matsumoto, like, I and mean, I love this, Matsumoto literally walks around in a big freaking Captain Harlock cape and sits on a captain harlock throne you know yes. and the modern generation of manga artists are much shyer you don't see them really doing that anymore you know mm-hmm. a lot of them hide carefully hide their faces you know they carefully they use pen names they're they're ultra protective of their privacy in a way that you know matsumoto leiji was obviously very very visible and present uh, you know he was as large as any of his characters, and that's something that's really changed in the manga world.
0: Mm-hmm. This is true.
2: Yeah,
0: um, I <laughs> I think it also, you know, it helps that he's he's created some of these like larger than life mm-hmm. characters, and so I don't think anyone would be telling him he couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, it was like... Just,
2: I think it's just a different expectation, you know, like you, the manga artists at the time sort of became famous. I'm not famous, but I mean, they, they became characters themselves, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. 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 Definitely. Uh, uh, I, I, I feel like, you know, if, if Leiji Matsumoto was like, I'm going to wear the, this Harlot cape instead <laughs> oh, yeah. of the crew, I'd be like, well, of course you are, your are Of course you are. You're yeah.
2: Leiji Matsumoto. you
0: <laughs> You can do anything you want, sir.
2: Stroll <laughs> around in that. It's awesome and we'll love you for it.
0: Exactly. And your
2: odd little brimless hat that you've apparently been wearing since your first photo was taken. And there must be a manufacturer who just makes those little brimless hats just for him. Those little skull caps. Yeah, skull cap thing that he just wears everywhere
0: Uh, um but it's it's always good to have a uh a a signature look right (laughs)
2: Right, exactly (laughs) i mean tezuka
0: had the uh beret
2: tezuka had the beret you know he had the little skull cap kazoo has his stripes you know yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) you gotta have your your signature thing your your signature look
2: and now we have the the one manga artist whose name I can't remember, but she wears the the chicken um, chicken mask.
0: Oh oh yes oh oh gosh I I know who you're talking about the 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 woman who does um, B stars.
2: Yes yes yes
0: yes. Paro Itagaki, yes Itagaki. thank yes, you yes. Daryl. Yeah. <laughs> Question: How many cats did Matsumoto have in his life? How many meekuns? I believe.
2: I could be wrong on this, but I believe that it was Maycoon Four was the most recent one. Yeah. Oh, little baby. I know it was sweet though. I love the fact that he always had, always had a Maycoon. You know, always had a little cat in there. Yeah. Uh,
0: And that's also something I I I really loved that he was such a big lover of cats as Uh as someone who loves cats myself. Mm. Oh, so good. (laughs) They're just so... And the way he draws cats are very, very cute. Oh, yeah. I love how he draws cats.
2: Yeah. I mean, I even love the, like, when they were, you know, like, that's another thing in the Captain Harlock manga that just um, cracks me up because they're like, you know, how many are on board, sir? They're like, 40 human beings, one bird, one cat. They always (laughs) made sure that they were registered as part of the official crew.
0: Yes. Because they're family.
2: Right? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Your pets are family. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to go on a short yep. little break. Um, and we are saying goodbye to Zach. Uh, the second part so of the uh, stream uh, will be me playing submissions from you, the the fans, on uh Matsumoto. So if you need to take a break, then now is a great time to do it. Uh, you know, have a little stretch, get a little snack, uh, drink some water, take a bathroom break, whatever you need. we'll be back in about, uh, maybe five minutes, okay? All right. We're back! Hi, everybody! I hope you had a nice little break. So, this will be the part of the stream where I was very, very humbled to get a, a wonderful outpouring of submissions from folks uh throughout the last couple weeks uh talking about Leiji Matsumoto and what his work meant to them and uh just some fantastic, fantastic uh both recordings and written pieces and I can't wait to share these with you. Um, th- thank you so much to everyone who took their time to uh, write and record and send in all these lovely little tributes to Leiji Matsumoto and his work. Uh, when I was reading and listening to some of these, like, I I laughed, I, I cried, I... Uh, and a lot of them are from people from all over the world. We have such a, a great mix of people who experienced uh, Leiji Matsumoto's work in various countries, uh, people from different backgrounds. Uh, it's just wonderful. Just wonderful. So to start us off, let me grab my playlist here. Uh, we are going to start with a little piece from, a recorded piece from, uh, Renzo and Rishi, who both are, uh, podcasters. They have a podcast called the, uh, Beyond the Long Box, I believe, and... They sent a nice little conversation between the two of them about their experiences with Leiji Matsumoto and uh, his work. So let's listen.
5: I'm Rishi Gandhi.
6: And I'm Renzo Adler. I'm on Twitter at at Renzo Adler. And I used uh, the, I guess I technically still have a Tumblr called Space Leech
5: um yeah i i'm a filmmaker uh you can find me at rish jg that's r-i-s-h-j-g on twitter um and i guess uh my relationship with Leiji matsumoto's work goes back to my childhood when i was growing up in uh in west africa um and i got to see galaxy express captain harlock uh like those two in particular growing was, up what
6: was harlock called in
5: france uh so like in french speaking countries like uh where i grew up in cote d'ivoire um harlock was called uh al Bateau. and you know they everybody had different names everybody like and and, and in galaxy express i i don't rem- like the title was still the same but like both shows definitely had different theme songs from the original japanese version but uh i don't know Leiji matsumoto just had a huge influence in in the francophone world because everybody saw those cartoons right
6: do do you remember where it was the first time you saw either of those or
5: Yeah. yeah yeah both of those shows were broadcast on this uh french anime channel called manga so like manga uh and on that on that channel they had all sorts of anime a lot of really old stuff some newer stuff contemporary to the era what year was this this was like in the late 90s so like i want to say like 96 97 something like that um probably into 98 like they were airing albato they were airing galaxy express 999 um and yeah like they had other. They had. They, there was definitely some other Leiji Matsumoto stuff. I don't really recall what it was that I saw broadcast in French.
6: Would have been uh, Space Battleship Yamato. Maybe.
5: Um. There might have been even something with Emeraldus, or that might have just been like a Captain Harlock thing. But the the characters, the just those those animes from like the seventies and eighties were just they were just like on all the time. Like they were. I think the only other creator that had that much reach on Francophone TV was maybe Gonagai.
6: Or Toriyama.
5: Or Toriyama, yeah. What about the manga? Were you able to buy the manga where you were? No, uh, the manga was not available at the time when I was growing up in West Africa. Um, I don't even know if there was a manga in publication in France in that era. There, there may have been, but as far as I know, there wasn't. There probably, they probably have publications at this point now. Um, but my main exposure to Leiji Matsumoto uh, as a boy was mainly the 70s and 80s animes. Um, and they may have even broadcast some of the old films but i don't i don't recall that i do remember remember,
6: primarily like the tv show versions. yeah
5: I, i primarily remember the tv show versions and it wasn't until years later that i learned that there were two uh captain harlock shows and you know one from like the 70s and one from the early 80s that took place after uh arcadia of my youth and those were the two shows that were predominantly shown and I never realized it as a kid, so sometimes like I was maybe a little confused um, as to why there were such two different shows and they weren't necessarily in the same continuity. But they both
6: had the same name.
5: Yeah, they, they both were called Albato. Like, there was no difference. There was no differentiation really made. Um,
6: so so uh, when you were watching, those shows look considerably different to things that were contemporary in the late 90s. Were you consciously like with little little Rishi like well this is clearly something for the 70s or you're like ah cartoon go burr
5: um I would say like when it was the early early 90s and I was watching whatever cartoons I didn't know there was like Japanese cartoons I didn't know there was like French cartoons I didn't know there was like American I just thought like every you know these cartoons existed Um and but like you know later on in the late 90s i understood oh these were old japanese uh broadcast shows right and um you know i realized some of these were really old shows that were being rebroadcast alongside things that were more contemporaneous in that era um and i don't know i, I guess it was just one of those things that was like uh a french version of like boomerang but just for anime
6: that sounds. I wish we had something like that in the states around uh, our time. I guess um, for for my experience, well, I'm not Gen X, so uh, space battleship Yamato was not my first ex- exposure to Leiji Matsumoto. I saw. I can't remember which came first, but mm-hmm. roughly at the same time, they had the Galaxy Express movie showing on the Sci Fi Channel, and they had um, the Galaxy Express manga. Um, running in an America magazine. And, um, you know, a lot of people today talk about, you know, how it's hard to get people to read vintage manga today. Even in the 90s, that was an uphill battle because Leiji Matsumoto looked very, you know, alien and, and different compared to what else was going on at the time with uh, Rama Half and Dragon Ball. Much more uh, uh, subdued sort of art style at times, detailed in other ways, uh, active in other ways, but not less shouting and screaming. If you but I do remember the first time I saw the the Galaxy Express movie was um, it was on the Sci Fi Channel, and it was with I was just flipping through channels, just looking for whatever. I right. didn't know what, what the fuck they were showing. I was just looking for whatever, and it's the part where Tetsuro is running through Count Mecca's castle. So here's this, like, boy running through, like, this gothic space castle with, like bats and robots but also like knights and gothic elements and I'm like what is this shit and then he finds his mom naked and and mounted on the wall like a deer head and then he gets in a shootout with a robot man and i'm like well i gotta find out more about this shit i gotta i gotta see more of this and then um i i saw the manga uh, luckily running in An-America. I, I think the manga in An-America was like technically one of the sequel series to Galaxy Express. It was not like the first Galaxy Express uh, manga. But, um, you know, it was, it was great. I mean, I I watched a lot of Twilight Zone at that point in time. So I was actually kind of used to this sort of like quasi-episodic storytelling format. Where it just came like, well, here's... A, Here's another planet and here's where like we have a different metaphor for some part of the human condition. I love this whole like very journey like format where there wasn't really the movie kind of adds an imperative where they're like well there's a big bad we got to get to. The manga, you know, it's like the song says it's it's a it's it's a journey to the stars. It's going to take you on a never-ending journey. A journey to the stars and that's how it goes just goes on forever just like the the ending chorus in that song
5: yeah i mean I, i will say this much out of all of leiji matsumoto's work the one that really stuck with me the most outside of harlock like definitely like the one that i have the most memories of um in you know in francophone africa was definitely galaxy express 999 Because there was no other show like it, whether they were retro, whether it was retro anime, whether it was like, you know, whatever was contemporaneous that they were showing at the time, there was nothing else like it. Like, it was heavy on metaphor. It was, it's um, nothing but the
6: Galaxy Express movie is an entire film made out of nothing but metaphors. And they say, Maytel pretty much says, I am a metaphor. I am a phantom of your youth. And I'm like, cool, Space Oedipus Complex, right on.
5: Yeah, I mean, the, like, just from, like, you know, the, the show definitely looked a lot jankier than the than the film. Yeah, but the even, Tetra was very potato-like. Yeah, but even, like, watching that show as a child, like, it 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 felt, it, there was nothing else I'd ever seen. Like, it's a train flying through space. So you got these interesting, weird people. It was just embracing stuff, You know, not not caring about being realistic, like a lot of Matsumoto stuff, if you try to connect it in a continuity, you're going to drive yourself insane. And I'm kind of it's just one of those things where I'm like, yeah, like, it's great that he didn't really like, you know, people could exist, but continuity didn't necessarily matter. Characters crossed over. And then they had this thing, Interstellar five, 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 five. And well, I was just that
6: probably really introduced Matsuboto no, to a whole other generation. I mean to
5: a whole generation, but to me, I was just like, wait, is this the same dude animating this stuff? And like that entire album, like it it was all legy. It was definitely like same same kind of metaphorical thing happening, like the art style, just the feel of it and um daft punk are french right oh yeah they're french gen xers so they're like totally in the crosshairs they're they're totally about matsumoto and it's just like when i found that out i was like oh man that makes complete sense because um you know like matsumoto was huge like in the francophone world in general not just france but like his stuff broadcast all over francophone africa and you know just um did you have any friends that also
6: watched it or was it like... Yeah, just- no,
5: I mean like they didn't necessarily know who the creators were. We were like really young, but um, everybody loved Galaxy Express 555. or Sorry, Galaxy Express 999. I'm getting Interstellar. nine, Yeah, 393, whatever, 45, whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, like Galaxy Express was the thing a lot of people really, really dug. And that was kind of awesome because... A lot of the shows kids liked were like, you know, big action man hero types, Dragon Ball, like, you know, very action-y shows. Um Maytel will will go to action. When
6: the time comes for it, Maytel yeah. will like throw a grenade earring or use a, a whip or a gun. She'll I mean she'll I get mean, her hands the, dirty, the, but the she's act- not like all, that's not what she's all about. Right. I
5: mean, the action's there, but the thing is it really stood out in terms of the character composition, right? Versus a lot of other shows. And even though it was very episodic, like a lot of shows, it's still, I don't know, There, there's just like a very ethereal field of the whole show that just didn't exist for for any of the other cartoons we had, whether it was anime or it was American cartoons. Um, Galaxy Express, at least for me, growing up in West Africa was like the Leiji Matsumoto uh, show outside of, you know, and then there was Captain Harlock, but even Captain Harlock just never felt quite as you know it it was it felt more like a traditional shonen sort of show but even then like even captain harlock is pretty different right because there's there's multiple iterations of him in a short span of time and they end up doing very different things i think the the thing that combines the elements is that um
6: M- Matsumoto is very fanciful and I think these you know Galaxy Express and Harlock in particular I think they're they're for young audiences they're for like a roughly shonen jump sort of age audience but I I feel like he do- he's not talking down to the reader to the viewer he's just presenting like this sort of space parable um mm. it was it was really fun like watching like this one episode where Meitel and Tetsuro go to a planet of professionals that are like people who become so obsessed with their craft that it leaves them like having total disconnect from like reality. And it's like the whole series is full of these little nuggets. I think uh, for a lot of viewers uh, in the US, it might be difficult to understand the context that Matsumoto's work comes from. It comes from very different, point in time very different experience and you know Matsumoto grew up sort of in the direct aftermath of World War II and if you look at Galaxy Express and Captain Harlock I think there's a lot of um anxieties about a very rapidly changing society um reflected in them and you could argue that some of these may be in a jingoistic, some might even consider fascist sort of capacity, but some of them I think is, you know, more universal in the sense that it taps into a sort of universal um, human experiences, just general fears about, you know, the passage of time, growing old, the world changing around you, and whether or not you're able to change it. And um, I would say if you're someone who likes Matsumoto but you kind of want to understand the context that Galaxy Express comes from, I would say, look up the Chris Marker film, uh, Sans Soleil. And um, it is in the Criterion Collection. And it's a sort of documentary uh, filmed partly in Japan, partly in Africa during the late 70s and the early 80s. Wonderful documentary footage of Tokyo and other parts of Japan during this time of transition, this time when Matsumoto was very active and used several times in the film, is footage of Galaxy Express 3.9. And I think the film really does, like, reflect that sort of, like, change The you know, the little threads of World War II still latching on in the world, and combined with the rapid, you know, rising sort of technocracy, combined with our own little human floibles and 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 shortcomings that i think are a big part of galaxy express so so check out sun directed by chris marker and uh i have a feeling if you're listening to this you've already watched the galaxy express movie on blu-ray but watch it again and again and again because it never stops being dazzling and
5: um i guess we can cut here
6: Yeah, well, uh, thank you uh, to the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. Thank you, Dawn, for having us on. And um, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much.
5: Thank you.
0: All right. That was Renzo and Rishi. Thank you so much for your contribution for the stream. I really appreciate it. All right. So next... On the list, we have Ryan, who you might know as the curator of the uh, Tumblr account Old Type New Type, where he uh, scans and archives vintage issues of New Type magazine, and he is also uh, a great uh, just overall person on Twitter. Uh, He had some words he would like to share. So take it away, Ryan.
7: What's happening, anime community? This is Ryan, the Megaverse Space Runaway VHS Otaku, also known as Black Otaku One. First of all, I wanted to uh, thank you. Uh, Usamimi, for allowing me to come onto your platform and just say a couple of words about a man who needs no introduction. Excuse me, not a man, but a giant, Leiji Matsumoto. I'm going to keep this brief. I'm not going into his complete body of work or his long story career. Most of us are well aware of his accomplishments. What I really wanted to get into is what he meant to us as fame. Especially to the members of our community that came before us, came before me. I'm talking about those pre-Robotech fans. I'm talking about the guys who actually grew up watching Star Blazers. My heart really goes out to these fans in our community. Okay? Can you imagine the person who created the characters that threw you into fandom is now amongst the cosmos? I can't. I mean, that's really heavy. It's the heaviest if you ask me. Because if if Mori was gone tomorrow, I'd be a wreck. But uh, back to uh, Leiji Matsumoto, uh, his impact was massive, and I mean that's that's an, that's an understatement. And I could say that a million times, but when you actually talk to the people who came before us, you know those 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 members in our community. I mean, I'm talking about people like Dave Merle. Uh, who runs Let's Anime? Tim Ed Eldred, who uh, runs Our Star Blazers. Uh, Rob Fenelon, Darius Washington, Brian Powell. Um, also, man, Walter Amos. Have you have y'all ever talked to Walter Amos about Matsumoto? You know, I had the uh uh, uh pleasure of doing that a couple years at a- uh, years ago at AWA, and man, his face lit up like a Christmas tree. I mean, he, I mean, it was it was it was magical. That's impact. And we may have uh, lost a giant as as far as a community, but for our who I like to call big homies, our OGs, they lost their reason on why they became an talk or at least one of their reasons, because if you were in their shoes, and the person that started it for you started that ball rolling for you to get into fandom. If 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 that person went away, you know, for whatever reason, that death is going to hit different. You're actually going to sit down, think about your anime fan and then when you became an otaku and the impact that person has left imprinted into your soul so with that being said leiji Matsumoto, you were a reason why american otaku fandom started it was your characters that left an impression. On the otaku that came before me. If you hadn't made Yamato. Galaxy Express 3 Or Harlock. Early fandom would be different. And maybe with or without. The people who came before me. Our big homies. Our OGs. And if they weren't here. Then Maybe we wouldn't be here either. Guess we'll never know. Thank you again, Utsumimi, for allowing me to say a couple words. And Matsumoto-sama, uh, we'll see you again in the cosmos. Uh, you're surely missed. Thank you.
0: All right, once again, that was Ryan. Thank you so much, Ryan, for submitting a few words. We really appreciate it. Uh, so now let me see, have to shuffle around my playlist here a little. Okay. So, (laughs) oh, thank you. Thanks, Ryan. I, I didn't realize you were here in the chat. Really appreciate your contribution. So next up we have Uh, one of our first, uh, outside America, uh, well, currently outside of America, uh, contribution, we have, uh, Fan Augustin, who graciously sent us a contribution all the way from Ecuador, which I thought was amazing. Thank you so much for your contribution, Augustin. Uh, here's what Augustine had to say.
8: Hello everyone at the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. My name is Agustin and I am talking from Quito, Ecuador. I have been a listener of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast for several years because I find it really interesting to learn about the old animes that have been forgotten or may be unknown. Thanks to the Anime Nostalgia Podcast, I have watched some great gems of the past. I would like to take this opportunity to share some memories about the works of Leiji Matsumoto throughout my life. Me, being a kid of the 90s, I remember that here in Ecuador they used to air Galaxy Express 39, Queen Millennia, and maybe Captain Harlock in the 90s. The three of them have Latin American Spanish dubbing, although I do know that they air since the 80s. Also, through cable, you can you could see uh, Gun Frontier later in the 2000s. Here's a fun story I would like to share. One of my earliest memories of my life as a very small kid, I mean around 1990 or 1991, is me being put to sleep in my bed by my father while the TV was on and airing the opening sequence of Queen Millennia. I used to be terrified by that song as a small kid, the eerie tune, in Latin America the opening song was tough, it's beautiful but it's still eerie, and th- that graphical sequence of those scary flying horses running through space, as a result I used to be scared of it and I only watched Queen Millennia sporadically, I remember even less of Galaxy Express 39, but I do know that I must have seen that on TV as a kid. Also, I know I have seen some Captain Harlock, but I used to confuse those shows among them because, and I did not know, that the female protagonists looked pretty much the same. The the graphical style around those shows is pretty similar. In conclusion, I used to have some experience with Leiji Matsumoto as a kid. In the 90s, I became a very big anime fan, thanks to animes like Saint Seiya, Rama 1-Half, Dragon Ball, and Sailor Moon. And I eventually learned about Leiji Matsumoto, his importance, and his most important works. So, in the mid-2010s, I finally decided to watch Galaxy Express 3.9 and its movies, partially thanks to recommendations from podcasts like the Anime Nostalgia Podcast, and I really loved it. And so, it was a mission for me to finally watch this anime that I knew I once saw as a kid on TV. So, after finishing Galaxy Express 3.9, I decided to do the big step and watch Queen Millennia*. That was pretty much a redemption to finally face that story that used to frighten me so much as a kid. And that actually is pretty much my favorite Leiji Matsumoto thing now. Such a nice story. Uh, The the idea that I find it there is that I do not even see a definite good or bad side. Um, That story is amazing. Throughout the years, I have also watched other stuff like Interstellar 5555, Gun Frontier, and the Galaxy Railways. Excellent action, deep stories, and I really love the Leiji Matsumoto character graphics. I really should watch Captain Harlock or even Yamato. I know I will like them, but I am quite overwhelmed by the length and the complexity of both franchises. One of these days, I will do it. I promise. In conclusion, nowadays I appreciate a lot the life and works of Leiji Matsumoto. I am aware of his importance and legacy for the anime industry. He had a quite unique style and somehow created these legibers that, thanks to fan theories, is somehow connected between them. In the future, I will surely watch some of his works to know more of the legibers. He will be missed, but I am sure his legacy will live on for future generations to discover. Thank you so much for listening to this. Um, I am really looking forward to this episode. I will see you next time. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much, Augustine, for that contribution. Kenshin Trek in the chat, thank you so much for sending that all the way from Ecuador. That was uh, fantastic. I, I really enjoyed listening to that. All right, so next up, uh, we have a written submission that I'm going to be reading to you all here in a moment by artist Amanda Ray. Here we go. Hey, my name is Amanda, and I also go by Amanda Ray or Ray on social media. I have a couple of things I wanted to express in regard to the passing of Leiji Matsumoto. Where do I start? Mr. Matsumoto's passing really shocked me on the day it was announced, and it wasn't much longer after that it hit me all at once, and I realized just how much he had touched my life. I remember the first time I had seen his work was back in the day on the Sci-Fi Channel's Anime Saturday block, which feels so long ago now, yet it remains so fresh in my mind. That anime was Galaxy Express 3.9. I instantly became enamored with the story, characters, music, and honestly just everything about it. It really stood out to me. It felt so ethereal in a way, almost like a fever dream. I remember then thinking, I needed more of that in my life. So time passed and I remembered my friend happened to get her hands on a copy of An America and it had Galaxy Express 3.9 on the cover. And I remember excitedly saying, Oh my god, that's the girl in the movie I saw on Anime Saturday. That's Maytel. I remember us bonding over it, looking through the magazine repeatedly, reading the articles, and that is when I saw the page that contained the word Lejiverse. It was from that point I wanted to seek out more of his works, and soon discovered Harlock, Starzinger, Gun Frontier, Queen Emeraldus, Yamato, Queen Millennia, and later on, down the line, his collaboration with Daft Punk, Interstellar 4-5. It really opened a door to another galaxy, a galaxy of incredible stories and characters that really stood out and made me realize I wanted to create things like that. Create characters and stories. It sparked my artistic interest from such a young age that still stands very true even in my present work. It helped me set on the path of wanting to pursue art as a career, yet another reason why Leiji Matsumoto's works have been so influential in my life. At the time I dive deeper into the Legiverse, reading his manga, and then soon after watching the anime adaptations that were released over the years, I found out that yet another favorite artist of mine, Nobuteroyuki, had worked as an animator and character designer on a few of those adaptations, which honestly opened yet another door to an art style that really resonated with me. With his unique blend of elegance and aesthetically unique designs, I can definitely see how Leiji Matsumoto's style has influenced Nobuteru Yuki's works over the years, as well as others such as his wife, Miyakumaki to even Clamp. I highly recommend checking these other artists out. What stands out to me the most about Leiji Matsumoto's works is how empowering his characters are, and his real stories. How you can really feel his heart and soul poured into it which is so moving to me, and even though each character and story is uniquely its own, you can still sense his presence as a creator and who he is as a person. Plus, I love how he intertwines his works together. I could honestly go on forever about Leiji Matsumoto, but I just want to say, even though he has left this world, his star will never burn out. He has left us with so many amazing works that have touched us individually over the years. I'm so grateful that I found his work and had it as part of my life growing up to even now. It has brought me some lifelong friendships and gotten me through difficult times, even good times as well. I highly recommend anyone check out his works and discover the beauty of the legiverse. Thank you, Mr. Mr. Matsumoto, for everything. I will never forget you. Thank you so much, Amanda, for that beautiful tribute. Just wonderful. I absolutely enjoyed reading it. All right. So next up, we have a wonderful another wonderfully written submission from none other than the independent anime scholar herself miss helen mccarthy who was kind enough to send us a wonderful little written word let me grab that real quick all right And Helen titled this, Leiji Matsumoto, What Matters in a Life. Remembering a life as crowded as Leiji Matsumoto's, it's difficult to know where to start. But I'm always drawn back to the little boy on Kyushu, tearing around with his friends, wearing drapes and throws repurposed as costumes, pretending to be Makoto, the hero of a popular tale in the 1930s. Matsumoto mentioned that in an interview, saying, cosplay wasn't such a new thing. There are a couple of things we need to remember about Leiji Matsumoto's memories. One is that many of them were delivered to us in his later years, when memory often performs its own editing process. The other is his abiding sense of integrity. Like all good storytellers, he knew that the facts sometimes need a little help, but the emotional and moral integrity of the story, his own or his characters, was always of paramount importance to him. Within leiji Matsumoto's memories are two complete and coherent universes, the one now lost in time where he grew up in a world at war and came to manhood in dire poverty and unthinkable change, and the one in his head and heart, the one he made from ancestry and folklore and technology and music and a ferocious burning curiosity about this world and everything beyond it. At the heart of all his creation is the constant quest for integrity and meaning the idea of what humanity means in a changing, often brutal world. How much difference did it make that he was a Kyushu native? A lot. He was proud of his Kyushu origin and often referred to its unique characteristics. Although he was born into affluence, his family fortunes saw a great reversal. His beloved father gave up flying. Devastated by his role in sending so many young men to their deaths as a wartime fighter pilot trainer, he sold vegetables door-to-door and tended charcoal kilns to feed his young family. But in his son's eyes, his heroism and integrity shone like stars. Young Leiji's two great dreams were thwarted in his school days. His poor eyesight meant he could never be a pilot. His family's poverty meant he could never study engineering at university. He didn't complain. Instead, he contributed to the family coffers, selling his art skills, set off for Tokyo at 15 to carve a career as a manga artist, and helped to put his younger brother through university so that he could become a renowned engineer and and eventually a professor of engineering. Instead of flying and building battleships in this world, Matsumoto created a universe of his own where he could fly as far and build as grandly as he wished, and he shared it all with us. In Tokyo, he made many friends, including the three manga creators who would be central to his life, Osamu Tezuka, Shotaru Ishinomori, and Miyako Maki, one of the most important female manga stars of the era, who became his wife. His stories of their crazy antics show his capacity for mischief and friendship, but also his complete lack of envy or malice towards anyone. He struggled while Tezuka and Maki were already famous. He helped to give his brother the start in life that he had missed, but inspired by his father's example and his mother's teaching, he focused all of his energies on achieving the life and work he wanted for himself. And he built an immense, iconic multiverse with room for all of us. Fly on into the stars, Zero Man. You still have so much to show us. Beautiful, beautiful words by Miss Helen McCarthy. Thank you so, so much for that amazing written piece. I appreciate it immensely. That was just wonderful. (laughs) Oh, Samantha, don't worry, I am also crying and it's really hard to read these things through my tears. Oh, thank you, Yui. I'm so glad (laughs) that you're enjoying this. Alright, so next up, we have some words from a prolific anime blogger and uh, one of the core members of creating Anime Weekend Atlanta. Mr. Dave Merrill himself uh, sent a little something in for us to hear. Take it away, Mr. Dave Merrill.
9: Hello, everyone. This is Dave Merrill. When Star Blazers first came on TV, I was nine. I'd seen other Japanese cartoons before, but this one was different. This one was a heartfelt, melodramatic space opera full of pain, loss, and hope of characters struggling through tears and anger, traveling 148,000 light years and back to save everything they cared about. I don't want to undersell the super salesmanship of Space Battleship Yamato's producer Yoshinobu Nishizaki, but without Leiji Matsumoto, we wouldn't have Star Blazers. We wouldn't have those hazy dark blue starscapes or the ethereal cosmic goddesses bringing a spark of mystery to the warplanes and battleships of his outer space World War II. Without Matsumoto, we wouldn't have Yamato. But without Yamato, Leiji Matsumoto would still be a titan of the manga world, if just for the lyrical space fantasy Galaxy Express 3-9, or the instantly iconic space pirate Captain Harlock, or his heartfelt, iconic Battlefield series, or the hard-scrabbled down-and-out-in-Tokyo comedy of Otoko Oidon, all drawn with that lush, descriptive brush line that was equally at home with dinosaurs and club-wielding cavemen, or Type 30 Arasaka rifles, or cosmic superconstructions, giving us mysterious beauties, masculine idols, and wizened cantankerous ulsters, with equal facility. Leiji Matsumoto was raised in a shattered world, surrounded by the remnants of the past, and it's only natural he'd create futures filled with relics and ruins, where myth and legend coexist with science and technology, and where the only constant anyone can rely on is the strength of the human spirit. Sometimes we try to bury history, sometimes we try to repeat it, but this is the world we live in, and like Matsumoto's heroes, we can only try to hold fast to our ideals. As for myself, my interest in Starblazers led me to join one of the American anime clubs that grew out of the show's success on American television, and soon I found myself running an anime club in my hometown, writing fan fiction, drawing fan artwork, writing and editing and publishing anime fanzines, attending one of the first anime conventions, and writing professionally about Japanese animation for a variety of print and online media. Eventually, I'd help start our own anime convention, still going strong 28 years later, and along the way I'd make hundreds, maybe thousands of friends. Without that anime fandom, without Leiji Matsumoto, I'd likely never have met these friends, never had countless opportunities and experiences. I'd also like to say uh, thank you to Dawn for putting all this together, and thanks to everyone who participated and to the listeners as well. And my advice for anyone writing on the Galaxy Express is to stay on the train.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much, Mr. Dave Merrill, the iconic Mr. Dave Merrill, for taking the time to record something. Uh, Really appreciate that. Okay, so now... We have, let's see, da, 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 da. a submission from Fan Cage, and Take It Away Cage.
10: So, the, the thing about Leichi Matsumoto, uh, with me, is that, um, I wasn't, like, super into his work at first, um, like, I'd, I'd always seen it, and I was like, this looks pretty cool, um... Like, I, I remember trying out Yamato, and later I found out that Matsumoto didn't actually have that much to do with Yamato. Um, and I was like, yeah, this is kind of neat. Uh, but I, I started singing a completely different tune whenever me and my friend watched uh, Galaxy Express 3.9, the, um, the Rentaro uh, film rendition. And um, we both just adored the crap out of that movie. Like, it was, for a while, it was our favorite movie of all time. And I think it's just because like the the characters in conflicts, like they felt they felt so real, they felt so raw. And even though it was like it was this weird journey on this like magical train in space, like I I still I still felt for these characters. I still kinda like I still found myself relating to them. And like and, and the ending, the ending had us had us bawling and, and like I'd never I'd never cried in front of like my friends were watching a movie before then. So it was just like, it was, it was really weird. And like, and come to find out we were, like I said, we, we were, we were both crying. Like it wasn't just me, like me and my friend Lou, we were, we were bawling. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of funny to talk about. Um, uh, after that, there, there wasn't uh, a whole lot. Like I, I know that I always loved galaxy express three nine, but I just never gave any of his other stuff a chance. Um, and at, at some point I, uh, I bought the Captain Harlock manga cause I just, I knew that I wanted to read it, but I just never did. Uh, and then I, uh, and then like just, just a few months later, I got the news that Leiji Matsumoto had passed away and, um, it, it hit kind of hard, especially since it came out of nowhere. Like it, I just kinda, it, it really did just, just appear and, um, it was, it was hard, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna finally, I'm gonna start digging into the Leiji-verse. Because I had so many friends who were, like, really into it. Um, and I always said, yeah, I'll, I'll get to it. Um, and then I read the Captain Harlock manga, and it blew me away. I was like, oh my god, I love Captain Harlock. This is, like, one of my new favorite characters in media. Uh, and then after that, I watched Arcadia of My Youth, and it just it skyrocketed my enjoyment for for these characters because they they were they like it gave me the same like sort of feeling that that watching Galaxy Express for the first time gave me where like i i feel like i could i could relate to these characters but s- since i was a bit older like it kind of um you know it, it sort of it it felt a little bit more real uh and like it felt like i i could sort of absorb the lessons that were being taught to me by, like, Harlock and uh, Tochiro. And, um, just, I I really wish I would have gotten into this stuff earlier, but I'm, I'm glad that I'm doing it now because, like, Leiji Matsumoto, his work is, it's almost like a part of me now. And I'm really happy to say that. Uh, and it just, it makes me really sad that, um, I just, I never really got to. I, I didn't really get to enjoy his stuff as much... Whenever he was alive... Um... But I'm hoping that... Um... Our captain... You know... He's, he's sailing... That sea of stars... Um... Just, uh... Boasting freedom... Uh... For all... <sighs> That's so fucking cheesy... Alright... Um... I... This is kind of long... You're probably gonna have to cut this, Dawn... <laughs> but... Uh, that's, uh, that's just all I wanted to say. I just, I really love, uh, Leiji, and I love his work, and, uh, I'm, I'm gonna miss him. Even though it, it took me this long, I'm really gonna miss him. All right, that's, uh, that's all. Well,
0: thank you so much for sharing that, Cage. Even now, it's, it's so heartwarming to me to see... Younger fans still discovering and loving Leiji Matsumoto's work all these years later. And uh, it it is was, was great to hear uh, about your experiences with it. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. All right. So next up, we have a written submission. Let me grab that real quick. And this is from Linky, who is another fan of Leiji Matsumoto. And here's what Linky says. Leiji Matsumoto's work is something that has profoundly impacted my life in countless ways, all of which are for the better. I'm not exaggerating when I say that so much of the good that has happened to me in the past almost five years all ties into getting sucked into his universe one way or another. Without getting into his work, my life would be vastly different. So much so, it's hard to imagine just how things would be now. I got into his work early July of 2018 when picking up the first volume of the Captain Harlock manga while on vacation, completely on a whim. I was vaguely familiar with his work prior, not only having seen his iconic art style through the music video of Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger by Daft Punk, being in classic anime since I was 11, being into classic anime since I was 11, I had seen Maytel around on the internet as well as having seen Harlock drawn in fan art before by classic anime fan artists. So when I saw this volume, I thought, oh hey, I've heard of Leiji Matsumoto, let's check this out. It's safe, it's safe to say that the rest is history from there. One small choice made on a whim vastly changed the trajectory of my life for the better. Leiji Matsumoto's works have inspired and moved me. They made me draw countless things, get back into writing, and start coding. I was so moved by his works and wanted to connect with other fans that I formed a Discord server. Something I never thought I'd see myself do. For many years, I lurked in fandom, not really talking to others but there was something so profound about the Legiverse that I felt so compelled to connect with other fans and contribute however I can to this community. The universe and stories he created made me want to reach out to other fans. Nothing had really done that to me before. And through reaching out and joining the fandom especially during what was a particularly hard moment in my life at the time that I am still reeling from to this day, I made connections and friends that seriously changed my life for the better. Friends I will forever hold dear in my heart. Connections in general that have enriched my life. I've gotten to meet so many wonderful people through this community, It was an honor to mod that Discord server during the time I ran it. This community has helped me so much over the years, and I am forever grateful. The Sea of Stars will forever be my home. And it is impossible to say just how important and influential his works are and give it true justice. He inspired countless people across multiple generations. Fandom itself and art coming from all across the world would be very different without the characters, stories, and universe he built. The ripple effect is massive and vast. And Leiji Matsumoto's stories have given me so much comfort, as well as catharsis over these past five years. Tales talking about the importance of all life and how the limited time all life possesses is something that makes it special. How one shouldn't give up on their dreams. Humans overcoming immense odds stacked against them and only having a year to do so. And how you should fight for what is inside your heart, flying under your own flag. I don't know what else I can say besides, thank you for everything. Thank you, Leiji Matsumoto, for all the good you've brought into my life and the lives of so many others. Your works have made my life so much richer and so much better. I am forever grateful for having gotten into the wonderful universe you forged. I truly cannot express with words just how massive of a positive impact Legi Matsumoto's work has had on my life. And I know I am far from the only one. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for everything. May your soul rest easy up in the vast sea of stars. Signed, Linky. Thank you so much, Linky, for those Wonderful, wonderful words. I'm honestly tearing up again just reading them. That was very, very lovely. And I appreciate your submission. All right. So next up, we have a wonderful recorded message by none other than August uh, Ragone, who is in the chat right now. Thank you so much, August, for submitting something for the stream. I really do appreciate it. All right. So we have another great audio submission. This is by August.
11: My name is August Ragoni. I'm the author of Aiji Superaia, Master of Monsters, and I was also the founder of the Japanese Fantasy Film Fair, the first anime event ever held outside of Japan, way back in 1979. This is Matsumoto of my youth. Leiji Matsumoto. My discovery of this benchmark master of manga and anime started in early 1975, but it wasn't directly through his preferred medium. Growing up in San Francisco, as a child, I began to haunt our Japantown. At the time, I was a fan of Godzilla and Ultraman, and whatever cool fantasy films or television shows came from there. Animated or live-action didn't matter to me. One day, a friend of mine, Roy Kauhi, whose mother was Japanese and whose father was Hawaiian, and I were browsing the goods at Fujiya on Buchanan Street. Obstensibly, Fujiya was a Shiseido cosmetic shop which had a modest selection of Japanese books. ...magazines, as well as a section with imported plastic model kits. On that fateful day, I was riveted by four new Bandai model kits with a of and incredible box art. The first thing that caught my eye was a battleship Yamato streaking through an asteroid ring in space with a small fighter zooming over the superstructure. Gosh! Another was a sleek silver fighter, Cosmo Zero, soaring diagonally left, up across the box, with the aft of the space battleship Yamato in the background firing its guns, with an explosion bleeding into the art from the direction of the Yamato's target. Wow! Next was an orange and black fighter, Black Tiger, zipping diagonally downwards to the left, with explosions all around, while the space battleship exchanged fire with an alien ship, and the red planet Mars in the background. Holy crap! The fourth featured a wildly dancing red robot, Analyzer, in a chamber with innumerable meter dials set into futuristic panels. What are these amazing things from, I wondered. Nonplus, Roy turned to me and said, Oh, you don't know space battleship Yamato? No, was my stunned reply. Oh, I've seen it and you haven't, he chided. I just kept marveling at the art, which wasn't even by Matsumoto's hand. It was commissioned by Bandai from the incredibly prolific illustrator and painter Shigeru Komatsuzaki, who after the Pacific War was an inexhaustible illustrator for boys' magazines, everything from westerns to science fiction. Komatsuzaki also created key production art designs for films in the 1950s and 60s, such as The Mysterians, Battle in Outer Space, and Atragon, to name a few. His art has filled numerous volumes of books celebrating him even before his passing in 2001. His art fueled the imagination of generations of children in Japan, even becoming well-known in the UK for his model kit box art for Gary Anderson's Nation series such as Thunderbirds. Just Google his name and have your mind blown. Komatsuzaki's Yamato art both haunted me and fueled my imagination. I had to know more. Rifling through the manga section at the long-defunct Goshiro books, I discovered some early works by Matsumoto, whom I wasn't aware of at the time, such as Submarine Super 99, created to cash in on Satoru Osawa's wildly popular undersea saga Submarine 707. Sometime after coveting those model kits, I came across the compiled Tankobon volume of Cosmo Ship Yamato. That's according to what it said on the dust jacket. And on the last page was the publishing and author information with a copyright in English accrediting L. Matsumoto. This led me to correct other Western fans when they'd referred to him as Reiji Matsuboto with an R. Immediately, I was drawn in by his dynamic and unorthodox panel layouts and how this created drama, tension, and action. There was no real dead space in those panels, and those that were seemingly so were actually crowded with word balloons and or unusual, for the time, halftone and zippitone fills. This created an illusion of movement from these static drawings. Of course, there is a profound contrast between the mortal characters, rendered almost as if they were breezy freestyle sketches, and the futuristic, brutalist, almost Krellian, hard lined interiors of the Yamato with those multitudes of meters and screens. Even the spacecraft of both sides, as well as the alien architecture, interior and exterior, seemed organic compared to the massive machinery inside the Yamato. Men looked feeble in juxtaposition to his own technology, an aesthetic and a theme threaded throughout Matsumoto's independent works before and after Yamato. Of course, we all know, or should know, Matsumoto's perpetual message is that despite how frail the human body is next to the grandeur of its technology, the human spirit, our souls, however finite our lifespans, will always triumph over our own technology because we are alive. While this is also a thread that runs through the tapestry of Captain Harlock, Matsumoto's conjecture is the total mortal of his story Galaxy Express 999. While Japanese-American bookstores would stock various Tankobon of Matsumoto's works, and also many of the serialized manga appearing in weeklies and monthlies, sorting through all of these periodicals as a non-Japanese kid was, in a word, daunting. So many of his then-current titles, such as Queen Amiraldas, slipped under some of our radars until they were published in Tankobon editions. However, following his animated series, which were featured in magazines such as Kodansha's Terebi Magazine or TV Magazine, was far easier. 1977 was a big year for Matsumoto, where you couldn't miss his handiwork by this time. Not only did his manga Galaxy Express 999 debut in the pages of Shonen King, his anime series for Toei Animation, Planetary Robo, Dangard Ace, had hit the airwaves. Then, Space Battleship Yamato was released theatrically as an animated feature film, compiled from episodes of the 1974 series, and then became the domestic box office champ that year, toppling the title owned by Steven Spielberg's Jaws. The resultant Yamato Fever, or Yamato Boom, created a tremendous windfall of merchandise and publications. Some of this trickled into the West Coast of the United States, and some started to take notice. I scooped up whatever came into the shops whenever I could get it. Meanwhile, producer Nishizaki, thinking ahead, had prepared an English-dubbed version of the Yamato feature film, and while having trouble securing a U.S. distributor, decided to offer it to Los Angeles broadcaster KTLA-5. Space Cruiser Yamato premiered at 6 p.m. on Sunday, February 26, 1978, a full year and a half before Star Blazers dropped on North American viewers. This explains how some fans in SoCal claim to have seen Star Blazers before anyone else. Star Blazers certainly put Matsumoto on the map for those fans who look deeper, as the closing credits of the series only listed him as a director and rendered his name as Reiji Matsumoto. Long before the internet, factual information, where available, was spread by a handful of American fans through fanzines and fan clubs that began to spring up around the country, chiefly starting with the LA-based Cartoon Fantasy Organization, or CFO, who were already on the edge of what was to be called anime fandom, and Matsumoto's works were prominently trumpeted. I joined the CFO over the 4th of July weekend in 1979 at WesterCon32. But before Star Blazers, Lucky Fans in Honolulu, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and New York, where Japanese program was offered to expats and their families, enjoyed what was to become known as anime a lot earlier than is chronicled by continental fans. And these programs boasted English subtitles produced by Honolulu's KIKU-13, or KIKU, which had great success with live-action children's science fiction programming from Japan. Their lineup started to include more anime series, which would subsequently be offered to broadcasters on the mainland, such as Yoshiyuki Tomino's Brave Raidin, Guy's Robo g Hyoko Mizuki's Candy Candy, Hiroshi Azuma's san, and so on. Kiku's programmer, Joanne Ninomiya, is an unsung hero as a pioneer in bringing uncut, subtitled anime to the U.S. in the 1970s. She also introduced Hawaiian viewers to Matsumoto's Cosmic Corsair at 7 p.m. on Sunday, April 22, 1979, with the premiere of Rin Taro's Space Pirate Captain Harlock, which had just ended its first run on Japanese television that February. Kiku's subtitle version then bowed over Los Angeles' KWHY22 at 10 a.m. on Sunday, January 7, 1979. Next to Kiku, KWHY22 probably ran more anime with English subtitles than any other Japanese American broadcaster on the mainland. East Coasters also joined Captain Harlock's misfit crew via WNJU 47, starting Saturday, January 12th, 1980 at 8 p.m. San Francisco hoisted the flag of freedom at 8 p.m. Sunday, June 1st, 1980 on our own KEMO 20. This is about eight months after Star Blazers launched on KTVU 2 for Bay Area viewers hungry for credible sci-fi adventures in the wake of Star Wars, and the ratings were incredible. In conjunction with KTVU2 host Bob Wilkins, he and I put on what the late Fred Patton recognized as the first public anime event outside of Japan, the Japanese Fantasy Film Fair, on December 15th and 16th, 1979. Matsumoto's works inspired us to share the good word with the masses. We hosted three more events through 1983, each one becoming progressively larger. Naturally, Matsumoto's works featured largely at each event. Networking with fans in the U.S. and Japan, as well as with the CFO, I hosted get-togethers to run whatever we could get our hands on, such as a screener of the Galaxy Express 999 feature film, which saw a sporadic, badly Americanized release in the summer of 1980 from Roger Corman. This, eh, even though it was sporadic, it was still a much bigger release than the Space Cruiser Yamato feature film was allowed. Speaking of Galactic Railways, the Galaxy Express 999 series, with English subtitles no less, produced by San Francisco's Fuji Television, ran on the tracks of New Jersey's WNJU 47, departing the station and into viewers' homes at 9 p.m. Sunday, January 4, 1981. Rumor has it that the 39 also ran on LA's KWHY 22. Additionally, my friends and I would drag a VCR and sometimes a TV set to local cons back in those days, so we could run episodes and movies of this great Japanimation, or set up an open house video room uh, at events such as BayCon, before anime video rooms were a thing, uh, outside of the CFO's groundbreaking presentations at cons as early as 1978. Most of the attention in those early days was focused on Yamato and Harlock, since both series were freely traded from coast to coast and beyond. The most off-consumed anime characters at SF conventions across the board were either from Yamato or Harlock. His impact was seminal. Needless to say, what most spread the gospel of Matsumoto were the grassroots efforts by fans themselves, separated by space and time some without knowledge of the others, almost working in a strange concert to help grow the cult of the cosmic Jolly Roger. I could go on because there's more, uh, much, much more, such as his Starzinger anime series Hitting the States, or Matsumoto being booked as one of the Japanese guests of honor for the momentous 1980 San Diego Comic-Con, which also included Osamu Tezuka, Shotaro Ishimori, Go Nagai, and Monkey Punch. Of course, uh, we all know that Matsumoto canceled, and so did Ishimori. But those are stories for another time. So while Osamu Tezuka may have led the way for American fans with Astro Boy and Kimba the White Lion, it was Leiji Matsumoto's works that galvanized them across North America and gave us much more beautiful dreams in space. So keep your eyes on the stars. Arigato, Sensei.
0: Thank you so much, August, for that wonderful submission that was packed full of so many amazing pieces of fandom history that don't often get shared, Uh, just wonderfully, wonderfully said and put together. Thank you so much for that submission. I really, really do appreciate it. And let's see, next up we have, ah, yes, Uh, we were very lucky to get submissions from not one, not two, but all three members of the Anime World Order podcast. Uh, Thank you so much to all of you for submitting something for the stream. I really do Appreciate that. Uh, So first up, we have... We have a submission from Clarissa.
12: There is so much to say about Matsumoto, but I will keep this pretty brief. For me, he wasn't my introduction to anime manga... I'm too young to be part of that Star Blazers generation. The first time I remember encountering his work was seeing one of the three nine movies. I believe it was the first one on television. It was on sci-fi channel. They used to run once a week a block where they would air movies or OAVs, usually heavily edited, of course. Um... So, it certainly wasn't the ideal way, I think, to be presented with his work. But nonetheless, it definitely made an impression on me. I think it's hard to see his work and not have a strong impression of it, whether it's positive or negative, because it's so distinctive. You can't mistake his work for anyone else's, and there's just really something special about it and part of that is just the romanticism of it i don't mean in the sense of like romantic love i mean in the sense of drama and adventure and the fantastical nature of it i think also the way that he combines older technology and history with this vision of the future Is different. You know, this old train flying through space, this old World War II battleship remade into a spaceship. So I think Matsumoto's work is really special, and it definitely stands on its own, but it's hard also not to look at his work with the sense of history behind it. Anime wouldn't be what it is, and the fandom absolutely wouldn't be what it is, either in Japan or in the U.S., without Yamato existing. And there's something really magical about that, and I think it's apt for the sense of romanticism in his work that so many people were so arrested and and swept away by this one work or this body of work that's just it just doesn't happen very often and to have such an impact is really something unique and worth celebrating
0: (laughs) thank you so much clarissa for that uh contribution so next up Uh, Also from Anime World Order, we have the the man who really doesn't need an introduction, Mr. Daryl Surratt himself. Take it away, Daryl.
13: Hey, everybody. This is Daryl Surratt. I'm a co-host of the Anime World Order podcast, as well as a contributing writer to Otaku USA magazine. And if not for Leiji Matsumoto, perhaps neither of those statements would apply. I'm sure there's little need for me to go over the importance of Leiji Matsumoto since before you heard this, you undoubtedly heard Don and Zach talk all about it and who better to discuss that subject than the folks who literally helped write the book on the topic. So you've no doubt heard about how critical Leiji Matsumoto and fans of his work were to the development of so many of the things that we take for granted in the English-speaking anime fandom, things like anime conventions, things like cosplay, which, hey, even on the Japanese side, he was critical to that, things like anime music videos for which the first known one was to a Leiji Matsumoto work. So instead, I'll just give an example of how those statements applied to me personally. I always consider myself an older millennial, even though people will tell me I'm Gen X. I always felt skeptical about that, because I didn't grow up with Star Blazers. I was a teenage anime fan in the early 1990s, which was an odd time to be a teenage anime fan, since at that time, pretty much everybody into anime, in the United States anyway, were grown-ups, or at least what I thought were grown-ups, people in their 20s and up. By the time I was in my 20s, suddenly Pokemon and Sailor Moon had really taken off big, And now I was too old to hang out with most of those fans. So when I was coming up as an anime fan in the days of Usenet and CompuServe and Prodigy, though personally I had NetCruiser, I had to read up on what the hits were because I thought they would never be released in the United States. I thought I would never see these things. And so I read all about Leiji Matsumoto's work. I happened to be fortunate. I lived near a comic book store whose owner was shockingly not hostile to anime and manga, who was willing to rent out tapes, which included the Space Battleship Yamato films. And so even though I was a teenager, I was able to see these anime titles from well before my time, so to speak, which was invaluable when eventually I started attending anime clubs, which again, at the time, there were no high school anime clubs. You had to be the teenager going to the college club, or... The club that was attended by college aged people. Being able to talk about the show that those fans liked helped. Such that once I was finally 18, about 25 years ago, or maybe it was 17, I went to my first anime convention, which was Anime Week in Atlanta over in the Atlanta Marriott North Central. I honestly can't remember if this was 1997 or 1998 at this point, they were in the same hotel both years. But I showed up, the nerd at the nerd convention, wearing a dress shirt and shoes and pants, the sort of thing you have to do to be taken seriously when you're surrounded by people ten years your elder, wandering around, don't really know anybody, and then my eye catches sight of it, a giant ten-foot-tall illustration of Deslar, or Deslock, in front of what looks to be some sort of conference area. I walked over and was stopped at the door by a lady dressed in full... Gamalus Military Gear, or Gamelon, I'll just use the Star Blazers names, who asked me to identify the person on the poster, which I'm able to do very easily, and so I'm let in. This was Desloktoberfest, which the great Jonathan Clements once described as, quote, a Star Blazers-themed annual party for the great and not-so-good at Anime Week in Atlanta. I suppose I'm the second group there. But it was there that I got to meet people like Dave Merrill, Walter Amos, Steve Harrison, and Tim Eldred, and many more, some of whom are no longer with us, which in turn got me to join various mailing lists or groups in the days and years after the convention, which provided me a place to actually hear from other anime fans aside from IRC, where once again, I was the teenage kid. In a room full of people who were staffers at Anime Expo, primarily. But that's how it was. You didn't have tons of anime fans in school. You didn't know anybody, aside from people much, much older. And later, much younger. I never really had contemporaries, come to think of it. But a lot of those people I met are people whom I'm still in touch with to this day. People who have gone on to do other things. Who have written... Extensively on the topic of Matsumoto, and I've read these works myself and have absorbed maybe a small percentage of it, and that in turn inspired me to do my own stuff. And maybe a couple of you listening to this have heard or read that stuff and been inspired to go do your own thing based on that, even if it is out of a I can do better than that mentality. And it all kind of starts with these cartoons about boats and trains in space. I would continue to go to AWA every year. I've only missed one due to COVID-19. Or, well, the pandemic itself. I didn't get COVID yet. And for many years, they were a holdout as far as maintaining an identity of being a place that was built upon the foundation of Star Blazers, of Yamato, of Captain Harlock, and Galaxy Express, and Queen Millennia, and so on and so forth. That vibe isn't really there anymore. I guess new ownership and what have you. But every year, for a time, Tim Eldred used to do a roundup of all things that happened in Space Battleship Yamato land, and he'd always conclude the presentation with a montage of the various notable names in both production and fandom pertaining to Yamato, who were no longer with us. We knew, eventually, that Matsumoto's name himself would be on that list, so it's not like his passing is a surprise, and if we're going to be honest... It's not like his recent output was on the quality level of what he was doing during the 80s and before, but it's still the end of an era. We've lost someone with an unmistakable style, who created many great works, often in collaboration with others, without whom a lot of us wouldn't likely be here, whether you know it or not. I get the feeling you're going to hear a lot of people say the same thing, because it's true. If you'd like to hear more about Leiji Matsumoto and the fandom that originated As a result of his work, over the decades on our podcast, Anime World Order, we've done a variety of interviews with many of the names that I've mentioned. The most recent example being Jim Kapostas, creator of that first known AMV, which was set to Star Blazers footage, recently passed away. As of many of his peers, we also interviewed, such as Bill Thomas. So if you want to quickly find those, you can go and just click on the little interviews tag that we've got, and you'll hear from some People with more definitive accounts than I. And on the subject of such accounts, keep listening because you're about to hear from some other people with more reputable things to say about Lazy Matsumoto than I, right here on the Anime Nostalgia Podcast.
0: Thank you so much, Daryl, for that submission. I, again, really appreciate all of the Anime World Order uh, cast giving something to the stream uh so last but of course not least we have fellow anime world order host uh Ger- or, <laughs> gerald gerald <laughs> sorry i don't know why i messed up that <laughs> but uh yes here is gerald's submission
14: Hi, Don. This is Gerald Rathcold from the Anime World Order podcast and Otaku USA. Thank you so much for having me on to talk about uh, Leiji Matsumoto. So I wanted to have a few words about him. Um, So when it comes to individuals on anime that have either like directly or sort of indirectly had an effect on my life... In anime, there are few that had have had a greater indirect effect than Leiji Matsumoto. The thing is, I was not part of the Star Blazer generation. The show started before I was born, and it has not rerun in a very long time. And in fact, Star Blazers fans are some of the most mistreated fans in anime. The show still has got no release on any modern media. The last release of it was on VHS. And there is a super out of print release of the Yamato movies that is basically impossible to find right now. So it's not like there are a lot of new Star Blazers fans being made. Um, Not like they have any way to watch the show. So, but I have watched Star Blazers, and I really had to work to do it. Um, However, while I'm not part of that generation, that generation, the Star Wars, the Star Blazers generation. Um, is the one that we can thank for a huge amount of sort of anime fandom as we have it today in America. One of my favorite conventions, uh, Anime Week in Atlanta, was started by a group of Star Blazers fans. In fact, the first anime convention ever was held in Dallas, Texas in 1982, and that was YamatoCon, obviously fans of Star Blazers. In fact, one of my good friends in anime, Tim Eldred, who is now a well-respected director of uh, American animation, uh, he started as a Star Blazers fan and in fact still runs a fan site devoted to Star Blazers and the works of Leiji Matsumoto. And yes, I understand that some people may jump in and correct me and say that, you know, Star Blazers wasn't originally a Leiji Matsumoto work, that there are, you know, it's more of a work of like, Yoshinobu Nishizaki um, and Leiji Matsumoto came in after the fact. But here's the thing is that we already have that work if Leiji Matsumoto had not been involved and that's the show Blue Noah and chances are you've never heard of Blue Noah or certainly never seen Blue Noah. Yeah there's a reason for that Um, and I'm pretty sure it's it's fair to say that Leiji Matsumoto is to Star Blazers what Bill Finger was to Batman basically everything good about it, everything that we like about Star Blazers, we owe to that guy. Um, And Star Blazers and Yamato is also where like so many talents of works that are far more directly related to me came from. Um, Like if we sort of divided up anime into like generations, there's the Star Blazers generation, there's probably an Astro Boy and like Kimba generation before them. And There's also a Toonami generation, those kids that really got started in like the late 90s. And I could probably trace myself back to the Robotech generation. Again, I was too young to see that show while it was airing, but I did get to see it a lot in reruns. It used to rerun on the Sci-Fi channel. And that was really where I got my start in anime. And uh, I remember we interviewed Noboru Ishiguro, uh, who was the director of that, of Macross, of of uh, that, the best part of, you know, Robotech. And he mentioned he was a director of the original space battleship Yamato. And he mentioned that the concept of like sci-fi in anime was so new and so foreign to the staff who were working on the show that he had to assign reading material to the staff. So they had a better idea of even the type of show they were working on. So I think it is fair to say that Leiji Matsumoto was sort of the big bang of anime. He was the one who moved anime outside of where it had been before. It was largely the realm of shows for very young children, or it was the the realm of sports shows. And I have nothing against sports anime, but sports anime was always about being part of a team. You were always a team. You were always working as a team towards a goal. And, you know, if you're an ostracized nerd... That was probably not something that was uh, easy to deal with. And Leiji Matsumoto in in his works, especially works like The Cockpit and, and Captain Harlock, these were all about individuality. These were all about you being you, you following your own path. And that was something that I believe I can certainly identify with and a lot of anime fans can identify with. So I'm glad that some sort Of work of his is now easily available certainly you can get the manga form of Captain Harlock both new works and you can get you can get uh, newer releases of the newer Captain Harlock shows as well as older works on DVD of course uh, and there's the new version of Space Battleship Yamato which has been very well received so Besides the huge gap that is the Space Battleship Yamato and Star Blazers series, the original ones, I really hope that one day we can get those in a nice modern format. That is the biggest, probably the single biggest gap in sort of anime fandom, co- like collective histories is we just don't have that. Um, so yeah, Leiji Matsumoto is sort of where it all began. And uh, we owe the guy a huge amount. Um, He really was there. He really pushed anime outside to an area that I like. I'm so glad that, you know, he pushed for having sci-fi in anime. He pushed for having really cool characters in anime. I mean, is there a cooler character than Captain Harlock? There probably are. But all those people are probably going back and referring to Captain Harlock. So... Anyway, thanks so much for having me on, Dawn. I'm sure whatever Daryl and Clarissa submit will be very similar to what I have to say. I said we should have all recorded together, but Daryl was not having it. So uh, prepare for three very similar takes on Leiji Matsumoto. So thank you.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much, Gerald. I love how he had to sneak in a little dig at Daryl right at the end. But thank you so much uh, to all of the members of Enry World Order for their wonderful submissions. Uh, we really appreciate that. <laughs> all right, so next up, I have another written submission by fan Missile Mars. Let me grab that for us real quick. And Missile Mars is another fan of the Lazyverse, verse and this is what they had to say. It seems I may be a little late for my entry, and thus not as eloquent with what I'd like to say, but I figured, regardless, I definitely should still send in my best and give it a shot, seeing as I owe a ton to Matsumoto and his creations, namely of Captain Harlock. More specifically, excuse me, more specifically, him and Tochiro. In 2020, I was suddenly and in unprecedented events, freed from being in high school under the guise of a, quote, two-week spring break. Obviously, this did not happen, and I think we all know what's ensued. But that time did give me at least... chance to finally explore a set of works I'd been circling with interest for a while. I finally decided to start with SSX and it's been my favorite anime or just show in general since. His works have also allowed me to meet some of the best people I've ever met. To say it briefly, the past few years have been pretty awful. Escapism and being able to turn myself off from real life have always been essential for me. To inject myself into a world I enjoyed. The Legiverse slash Harlock has been that for the past three years for me. I truly owe a ton to Mr. Matsumoto and his works may have just saved my life and in the years following have been muse for my own creative works. Every day I think about his works, and pretty much every aspect of my life at the moment is touched by them. I hope his beautiful stories won't be forgotten. Thank you so much, Missile Mars, for that lovely contribution. I really appreciate it. All right, next up we have another recorded message, this time. From Mr. Discotech himself, Mr. Mike Tool, has uh, sent in a wonderful audio submission. Let me grab that real quick. All right. Take it away, Mike.
15: What Matsumoto means to me. In 1981, I was five years old, in kindergarten, and my afternoons were filled with anxiety. It wasn't because I was lonely, or because I disliked being away from my parents, or because I was being bullied. I was lucky I had a happy childhood in that respect. No, it was because kindergarten let out at 1.30pm, the school bus left at one45 and Star Blazers started on WXNE Channel 25 at 2pm sharp. If the bus got hung up on too many stoplights, or if I didn't race down my street at full gallop, I might not make it in time to sing along to the opening song. Even worse, I might miss the first few minutes, and who knows when it would rerun. They'd already moved it away from the morning slot, which was easier to watch before school. I might never get to watch that episode again. That's what it was like to watch television before VCRs were commonplace. Anyway, yeah... I was part of a whole generation of children who ran home from school to catch Star Blazers, aka Space Battleship Yamato, the first of Leiji Matsumoto's works to be animated for television. I didn't know who Matsumoto was when I was a kid, but I knew that Star Blazers came from Japan. It was different from the other cartoons on the air, not just because it felt more dynamic, with bolder cinematic choices and a more complex ongoing storyline. The characters were vulnerable, They expressed hopes, dreams, doubts. The central hero, Derek Wildstar, initially is dismissive of the ship's desperate mission and mistrustful of his commanding officer. And that ship's commander, Captain Avatar, expresses his own doubts about the mission and is later found to be suffering from a terminal illness. The Gamelons, the ostensible bad guys, well, they're chock full of typical scheming one-dimensional villains, but their cohort also contains adversaries for the Yamato who are noble, even heroic. The central antagonist, Deslock, eventually finds fault in his own conquering ways, and obsession with defeating the space battleship. He examines his choices and resolves to be better. Even as a very young child, I was desperate for stories like this. The shirt Tales and Gilligan's Planet were fine, but they didn't include an urgent race against time to avoid the extinction of the human race. They also didn't have an unbelievably awesome ship's bridge, cool fighter and spaceship designs, an irascible robot buddy, at the wave motion gun, an ultimate weapon built from the stuff that was meant to deliver mankind its salvation. Now the show wasn't perfect, it had some rough animation, and its imagery of a naval battleship sliding through space belching smoke and fire is bizarre at first glance. But Starblazers stuck in my young mind like nothing else. My dad pointed out that there were Japanese names in the credits, and that this meant the show was from Japan. Because of this, every scrap of Japanese animation that came over the airwaves in Boston got some extra scrutiny from me. And soon enough, that led me to other productions involving Matsumoto, Space Spacecateers and Danguard Ace. These two were part of a TV package deal called Force 5, and getting them to American television involved dubbing them as quickly and stupidly as possible, and only airing 26 episodes of each one. Still, I was inexorably drawn to them so I could bear witness to an intractably fiery and arrogant hero and an awkward love triangle in Space Keteers. Dan Gardase had cool robot stuff, but it also featured a strained secretive father-son relationship. All the sharp edges of these shows, admittedly SF super robot romps meant for kids in the first place, had been sanded off by Jim Terry Productions, but that nourishment for my obsessive self was still present, impossible to completely erase, immutable. Now. Leiji Matsumoto alone wasn't responsible for Star Blazers or for Space Keteers or Dan Ace, but his characters were the anchor for them all. They were soulful, human in a way that stood out from simpler super robot fare of the day. Encountering them at a young age kept me looking for them as I grew older, and that's how I spotted Captain Harlock. Harlock's appearance on American TV was a messy, incoherent affair. The 1978 Space Pirate Captain Harlock TV series was inexpertly stapled together with Matsumoto's 1981 Queen Millennia TV series by an outfit called Harmony Gold. Frankly, I didn't like it much. It was impossible to follow. But I did like Harlock. Space battleship Yamato introduced me to Leiji Matsumoto's notions of heroism and romance, but Captain Harlock introduced me to Matsumoto's idea of cool. I mean, sure, I wanted to fly space fighter jets and save the human race like Wildstar and Star Blazers. Later, watching Captain Harlock on TV, I also found myself wanting to fly a cool space pirate galleon and stand in resistance to corrupt invading forces. But I also totally wanted to dress and wear my hair like Harlock and carry a laser rapier that magically managed to surprise every adversary when he drew it from his belt, no matter how often he'd use it. A few years later, when I rented a videotape called Galaxy Express a harshly abbreviated version of the 1979 Galaxy Express 3 movie, I was totally unsurprised to see Harlock appear in a major cameo. After all, it would have been really cool for him to show up, so he did. As I cruised into my own adulthood and dabbled in professional anime-related projects, Matsumoto's work kept on turning up. The first time I appeared in print in a national magazine writing about Japanese animation, it was in 1996 for An American magazine. Maytel of Galaxy Express 3 was featured on the cover. My correspondence with the magazine's editors, Trish Ledoux and Carl Horn, included discussions of Matsumoto. We were able to bond over his stuff. Decades later, I would help out a bit with Discotech Media's Blu-ray releases of the 3 films. The closest I got to Leiji Matsumoto's work was recording a guided commentary for Arcadia of My Youth. Toei's glorious 1982 Harlock origin story. I volunteered to do a solo commentary on a two-hour and ten-minute feature film because I'd felt uh, that a steady examination of an intriguing and singular film would enhance the video release. Arcadia of My Youth is an exercise in layering. It's a tale of a futuristic space rebellion, but it's also a remake of Matsumoto's old World War II manga story of the same name. It takes ideas and motifs from an old Peter von Mendelssohn story, a poem by Friedrich von Schiller, stuff like that. The Galaxy Express 3 films traversed vast galactic distances, but here was a film somehow even greater in scope, arcing across both space and time. Secretly, I'd kind of hoped to someday discuss the movie with Matsumoto himself, who had provided the underlying story, but unfortunately that's not going to happen on this planet. Leiji Matsumoto's stories are full of lessons, lessons about the futility of war, about how the thing that makes life worth living is its transience, about how we are so much more similar than we are different. And One thing that's always struck me about Harlock was his friendship with the ship's engineer, Tochiro Oyama. The two men couldn't be more different. Harlock cut a tall, dashing figure, in elegant pilot finery. And Tochiro looked like a potato with glasses and a mop-top, swaddled in a grubby cloak and a beaten-up wide-brim hat. These two men's backgrounds and ancestry are wildly divergent. It couldn't be more dissimilar, but they felt an immediate connection. And it's not just Tochiro. Harlock's a character who seeks out friends and allies fearlessly. He goes in search of them everywhere he goes. For me, it's not just the hair, the cape, and the cool sword. I've always wanted and tried to be the sort of person who would seek out good people everywhere I went. That's what Leiji Matsumoto's work has meant to me. I hope he rests in peace.
0: Thank you so much to Mike Tool for that wonderful submission. I really appreciate you taking the time to add something to the stream, especially with like many people have already said that wonderful, wonderful speaking voice Mr. Mike Tool has. He has a voice made for radio. (laughs) All right. Next up, we have a submission from Samantha, who uh, works as the head of Anime Herald, a uh, anime news site that you might have heard of before. Let me grab that real quick. Samantha was here earlier, uh, but sadly had to leave for the night. But yes, here
3: is Samantha's recording. Where can I really begin with this? Um, I mean, there are billions of things I'd love to say, millions of ways i like to say them, but I just can't bring the words to mind. I just don't know how to really express it. Because uh, Matsumoto Sensei's work just resonates so deeply with me. Um, without his work, without Galaxy Express 3.9, I would never have discovered anime. I would never have found this vibrant, incredible community of misfits, of outcasts, of geeks who shared together in this incredible experience that we all thrive within today. And... I mean, I don't say that lightly, because uh, my uncle introduced me to Galaxy Express 3.9 when I was eight years old. I was visiting my grandmother at the time, and he knew that I liked shows like, say, Transformers, like Robotech, that had that sci-fi vibe to it. And he invited me into his room to check out a new cartoon. It was... I mean, being eight years old, I gladly obliged. He pulled out a stack of VHS tapes and popped one in. And honestly, it was really bad looking. It was, uh, <laughs> um, the video was all warped. The, the tracking was all off with, uh, grainy lines running through it. The sound was starting to warble, but there was just something special about it that grabbed me as a train whistle blared through the TV mount speakers. And then you watch as it just moved forward, the wheels starting to turn, the camera shifting to that iconic series of train tracks that extend into absolute oblivion. I mean, and then you see the name come up. Ginga Tetsu Dulles 39 3.9, uh, Galaxy Express 3.9. Like, I had no clue. Like, No idea what I was getting into. I just thought I was watching a new cartoon with my uncle. And... I mean, no one in it spoke English. The subtitles were hastily made by someone with a video toaster, so... They popped in and out at at random. They were rife with misspellings and flashed by so fast, I could only really make out little bits and pieces. But I really didn't need that. The words weren't what mattered. The characters said mountains just through what they were doing with their visual language, their their tone, Maitel's distinct sadness, Tetra's desperation to leave everything behind. It all spoke volumes beyond words. And honestly, with without that, I would never have gotten involved with anime. And I would never have found works like Star Blazers, like Gundam, that just kept pulling me in. And honestly, I I I really don't know how to say it, but I always wanted to thank uh, Matsumoto Sensei for his creating this amazing universe. This place that we had all discovered, whether it was through Star Blazers, through Captain Harlock, through Galaxy Express, through uh my television, through any other works of that nature he really built up something incredibly special and i really cannot thank him enough um even now as i think back it's been a couple weeks but there's still i can't help but feel a distinct sadness right now because at this point we know that the that Matsumoto's work is is now done and he has embarked on one final journey to the Sea of Stars. I want to cry right now, but I promise you I won't. <laughs> um, all I can say is I wish you well, good sir, on your final journey. I hope it's a peaceful one. I hope it's as glorious as you've ever imagined. Thank you for giving this all. Something to dream
1: about. Let's see if I can.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Samantha, for that just wonderful, wonderful submission. I I really appreciate it. That was just lovely. All right. Thank you. So next up we have a wonderful submission by uh, someone who is probably very well-known in the the fandom uh, concerning Super Sentai and Kaiju, and that is Mr. Mike Dent. Uh, he was gracious enough to share some very lovely and personal stories with us, so... Here we go. You are now listening to Mr. Mike Dent.
16: Let's see if I can get this right this time. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, Mike Dent here, uh, voice actor, writer, the main mover and shaker over at Vintage Henshin on YouTube. And this is my contribution to the Leiji Matsumoto tribute. After today, I, I felt it was, it was time I sat down and actually recorded this thing. So uh, there's a reason why we'll, we'll get to it at the end. I've done a lot of interviews recently and um, mentioned in all of that that the work of Leiji Matsumoto was part of the sort of fundamental basis of my entire fandom in both anime and science fiction. My dad, who passed away in uh, actually last October, uh, when he moved out to the Midwest to marry my mom, he brought with him all of his old uh, bootleg tapes and uh, he had stuff like uh, Angel Egg, uh, Project Aiko arcadia of my youth and the big one several yamato movies and the entire third season of star blazers and we bonded over well, star blazers something fierce i've told the story several times about how like we got saddled with like that cursed be forever yamato bootleg that cuts out at the worst possible moment uh and me just bawling my eyes out as a kid because i never i thought i'd never know the ending so, <laughs> But uh we, we had other really cute moments, fun moments with Yamato, especially when 2199 came out. Yamato 2199. I remember when the Floating continent episode dropped and I ran to my dad and I'm just like, Dad, Dad, you know, they f- just fired the wave motion gun. And I remember like firing up the episode on our big TV or I think it, it was on our big TV or it was on his laptop and we watched it and he lit up like a kid on Christmas. Uh, he always loved the wave motion gun for whatever reason. I think he was just captivated by like the spectacle of it. but. Also, the science was really into engineering and technical journals and stuff like that. I feel like if there had been a Yamato technical journal book or something somewhere, he would have bought that immediately. Another really vivid memory for me was in high school. So been 2000, I was in health class and our teacher was taking his sweet time to get into class because he was sociable. One of my classmates just kind of went to the TV. He was like, oh, let's just turn stuff on. Turned on the box, which for those who were too young to remember, the box was on demand music video channel, kind of an um, alternative to MTV, VH1. The only problem was you needed a very special antenna. To access it because otherwise it would come in like super fuzzy. So, in the midst of the fuzz, uh, we came in right as One More Time by Daft Punk was on screen. And so, a couple of my classmates who were a little more savvy into the techno scene were already just getting hype and excited by it. And I'm just sitting there like, that's Luigi Matsumoto style. What the heck? Imagine my shock when finding out that there were multiple music videos coming that were all in that style and there was an ongoing storyline. I was enthralled by it, and that's how I became a Daft Punk fan in the process. Fast forward a couple months to a very terrible vacation to Minneapolis where we didn't go really anywhere except the zoo, which is very vacant when we went, and the Mall of America. And (laughs) I remember to escape it. um, I remember going into a Sam Goody, and I found a copy of Discovery. Discovery had just come out, and I remember just scrambling to get it and popping it into my Walkman and just tuning everything out whenever it got too unbearable. Uh, It was the first album that I ever listened from first track to last in one setting. And then you get older and you start looking at the other stuff and, you know, reading Galaxy Express 3.9 in the pages of An-America and then finally getting to see the anime and then seeing the movie, which is one of the best animated movies ever made as far as I'm concerned. That whole final climax on Planet Mattel still brings tears to my eyes just thinking about it. Arcadia of My Youth is just this brilliant movie, and the final line by Harlock always just moves me. The whole, like, keep dancing, you fools. Our world is that of the whole space, and... I think Harlock in general is just one of my favorite characters in science fiction. This total gentleman pirate who just has this great sense of honor and loyalty to his friends is just more than admirable, and I have to wonder how much of that rubbed off on me. (laughs) so interesting to look back and just see how interwoven matsumoto's work has been through my youth and getting older and in a way i kind of took him for granted i think the one thing that i can appreciate even now after having lost both my parents just that notion that you get from three nine and, and also from our lock where it's like yes you've got your solitude but you've still got yourself and the sky's literally the limit and that's something i, I really take to heart The reason I wanted to record this, especially today, uh, and now we're going full circle. Way back, my mom went on a cleaning spree in the attic, and she threw out my dad's Yamato model kit. I forget what scale it was, but it was very vintage. He got it from convention, he'd never been able to assemble it, and despite my protests, she threw it out. Um, I found out recently that that particular model kit is now worth over $700. So, really regretting that one. But, um, I had vowed that after my dad had passed that I would try to get a Yamato model kit as like a, a piece of tribute. Or failing that, I tried to get the Arcadia. And today I went with my best friend to our local hobby town. And sure enough, right there in plain view was the Hasegala Arcadia. I have to wonder if there was a little bit of divine intervention there. But uh, suffice to say, I am itching. To put that thing together and I don't know, maybe getting a Cosmo gun and setting up a little shrine. The passing of Matsumoto reopened a lot of wounds that I thought had closed up with the passing of my dad, but I think in revisiting it now, it has brought me a great deal of comfort. But the two are just so interwoven now for me. And it's so hard then to see two very big parts of my youth gone. As I said, there's still that solitude. And There's still that hope. And that's what keeps me going amidst all the craziness. So this is Mike Dent signing off, wishing you and yours all the best.
0: Thank you so much, Mike, for sharing that wonderful story about your father and uh, how much you both bonded over... Leiji Matsumoto's works that was so sweet and so touching, I really appreciated that. Uh, So we are almost near the end folks, we have just a couple more uh, audio submissions. So first of all, it wouldn't be a Leiji Matsumoto tribute without something from The Star Blazers fan site icon, Mr. Tim Eldred himself, who is integral to American Leiji Matsumoto uh, fandom. And he was kind enough to send a little something our way. So take it away, Tim.
17: Hi, everyone. Tim Eldred here. I'm an animation director, the webmaster at OurStarBlazers.com, and a comic book artist. I had the honor of drawing the American version of Captain Harlock in the early 90s, and several Starblazers comics after that. Here's my comment on the passing of Leiji Matsumoto. As soon as I turned 10 years old, I started feeling like most TV cartoons weren't made for me. I was ready for stories that gave me some credit for having a memory and an attention span. When I was 15, I was hit square in the face by a show that did exactly that, Star Blazers. It was love at first sight. This was the cartoon that made me want to make cartoons. A couple years later, I got to see the original version of that cartoon, which was named Space Battleship Yamato. Shortly afterward, I saw one called Captain Harlock which looked a lot like it. I learned that this was no accident. Both were the product of an artist named Leiji Matsumoto, who suddenly magically knew exactly what I was hungry for and put it on a TV screen. And I was certainly not the only one. There was a whole generation of kids like me in Japan who were outgrowing TV manga at around the same time. Many of them already knew who Leiji Matsumoto was thanks to his many popular manga titles, and when that magic made the jump into anime, it gave them all a reason to keep watching. Fortunately for the rest of the world, there were enough of them to turn anime itself into mainstream entertainment. The initial visual lure was Matsumoto's obsessive fascination with machinery, rooted in the cast-off military equipment that populated his post-war childhood. Using pencils and paper, he taught himself how to bend and shape it into futuristic sci-fi mecca that felt warm and alive, like sculpture. Just looking at it made you want to draw it yourself and discover what made it work. But there was something else going on behind the visuals. That same warmth and life was infused in Matsumoto's writing, always driven by what makes us human. Strength, weakness, greed, kindness, despair hope, and everything in between. His emotional fluency was what made it possible for him to thrive in every genre of manga he had to work in to survive as a struggling artist before he became the Leiji Matsumoto we all met in the 1980s. One of the reasons I started making comics and cartoons for a living was because Matsumoto, and others like him, had fueled me with creative energy. When I recognized that same energy in Japanese anime and manga made by those in my age group, I realized that he didn't just show us how to apply our talents. He showed us what kind of people we should be. I wish I'd had these words in my head in December 2010 when I finally met him in person. He was by no means a young man then, but he seemed like an eternal soul, someone who would always exist somewhere in the universe. I regret that I couldn't articulate this until I was asked to write a memoir. I would have really liked to thank him for helping make me who I am today.
0: Wonderful, wonderful words from Mr. Tim Eldred. Thank you so much, Tim, for your contribution. I really, really appreciate it. And if you haven't already checked out his just incredibly massive fan site, our star blazers, uh, AKA Cosmo DNA. It is a fantastic resource for everything related to it. Not just space battleship Yamato, but for Leiji Matsumoto as well. Just a, a, an incredible, incredible resource. I years, years, literally decades worth of content there. Uh, all thanks to Tim and all the other members of the website. It is just fantastic. Alright, next we have a very, very moving tribute uh, that I was just floored by uh, for, from fan and artist and game dev Rosario. Uh, he has some amazing stories, very personal stories to share with us about their fandom experience with Leiji Matsumoto, uh, and I feel honored that they were kind enough to share it with us. Leiji Matsumoto's work came to me
18: in a very turbulent time of my life where I was having a lot of trouble accepting and facing my fears of masculinity within myself and how I interacted with it in my environment. And I don't think that I would have had the revelations that I did otherwise, like if I didn't find his work. When I first found his work, I was about 17 years old and I had just entered a majority male college as a hyper-feminine lolita and Yaru. I was petite and vulnerable and feeling like I'd been thrown to the wolves and like all the men there were just waiting to eat me. I trusted no men. I had a really strained relationship with my father and I always felt like I was fighting for my life against some male force, whether it was because of sexual harassment or trauma from my parents' divorce. And I was just always cursing masculinity in some way. A few years earlier, I had seen a doll of Captain Harlock at a retro toy convention, and the image of him was just like instantly burned into my mind. I did not know who he was, or why I wanted this doll so badly, but I did. He was just so cool, and he was so easily recognizable with his eye patch and his scar, and his black and red cape. And he was $300! So that was not happening. I did not end up buying that doll but I never forgot what he looked like. I didn't find out who he was until that faded age of 17, but I shrieked when I saw him again for the first time, and at the time I thought something along the lines of, yep, that's it, that's gonna be my new anime boyfriend. At long last I have found you, and now I can become obsessed with you and add you to my collection. I thought of him as if he was made for me to become the latest victim of my hyperfixation, Like he was the type of character that I would want on a body pillow or something, but he did not end up having that effect on me. Instead, I found myself seeking peace with this man, and seeking peace with masculinity through him in general. You see, to me at the time, Captain Harlock felt like such a boy's anime. I almost felt like I shouldn't be watching this because I was such a girl, or so I thought. My memories of the Captain Harlock anime are hazy, no matter how many times I've watched it, because I always turned to it in turbulent times, where I was desperate to just identify with something, just to sink my teeth into something that was familiar. It-, it made me feel like I was coming home. It still makes me feel like I'm coming home, and I never really knew why, until one day I watched Harlock with my father in an attempt to bond with him. He laughed about how space opera the whole thing was and how kind of cheesy it was, and eventually he fell asleep while we were watching it. And I looked around his tiny apartment, where he ended up after my mom kicked him out, at his weird little piles of beer cans and stuff that he was just too depressed to put away, and my eyes fell on some books about though, He was always trying to present as some stoic samurai type. He was always trying to bullshit some man-of-the-house, man-of-my-country sense of masculine honor, thinking that that's what would make him a good role model or someone that I would find cool, I guess. And as I sat there, watching Harlock pick up little Mayu and swing her around, I felt as though He was the only man who could make me feel safe in this world. And that he was the type of man that my father desperately wished he was. It was around that time when I stopped wearing dresses and I shaved my head into a mohawk and I started wearing boots and long black leather coats. And it was a really big change from frilly dresses. For the first time, I really didn't want to distance myself from masculinity as much as I could. Because I had a figure in my life that didn't give me a feeling like I was backed into a wall fighting him off with a stick every time I interacted with him. I wore a leather wristband with a skull and crossbones on it a lot. And when people saw it, they just thought I was like really into pirates as a concept or something. But it was my way of carrying Harlock with me. My friends would joke about him being my husband or something but I didn't really actually feel that way towards him. He was just my special little guy that made me feel really safe. And that's amazing, isn't it? Because a character like Harlock, who is so dedicated to securing the safety of others, could make some teenager, like 40, 50-something years after his conception, feel life-changing amounts of safety. Leiji Matsumoto was not interested in making stories where the time you spend with it is simply just fun and fleeting. I mean, fun and fleeting stories have their place in entertainment, but Leiji Matsumoto was just not really making that. He was making characters like Harlock, whose motivations and ideas and just essence can't help but leak into our very lives, that make us confront things about ourselves in a way that they stay with us. He did not just create characters, he created The friends we make along the way. Like I said before, many of my memories of Captain Harlock are hazy, and no matter how many times I've sought it out for comfort, it feels like this big blurry ball in my mind. But one thing I'll never forget is the last episode of the anime when Harlock said that he wants the people of Earth to grow flowers to make the world a more beautiful place. As I record this, I can see the sprouts of forget-me-nots I sowed out in my garden. And as they grow, I grow too. My shoulders grow wider, and my voice grows deeper, and my mustache grows in general. Because I'm a few weeks on testosterone now, and I am the very thing that I feared so much at 17, which is a man. And I don't think I would be where I am today if I had never come across Leiji Matsumoto's work. And for that, I sincerely thank him.
0: Thank you so much, Rosario, for that just amazing story. I, I tear up every time I listen to it. It's just so wonderful. Thank you so much. And before we go, we have one final submission uh, you know, saving the best for last, possibly. (laughs) We have a lovely audio submission from the writer, uh, one of the writers of the Leiji Matsumoto essays book himself, Mr. Darren John Ashmore, who was so kind to send a very moving and heartfelt recording specifically for this stream uh and i thank him so much for this it is truly wonderful and i am so glad to get to share it with all of you here is mr john darren john ashmore this is the
19: voice of radio free arcadia I've been asked to give my thoughts about the life and death of Matsumoto Reiji, especially with regard as to what his work meant to me and what his generosity towards me as a a scholar, a person, a student, what that meant as well. Difficult thing to do at this point. Perhaps the The grief of it is still too close. All I can tend to think about right now is this undifferentiated mass of ideas and thoughts which turn in and on themselves eternally. But you could say that might be a product of his work, the way he created his worlds. So dissimilar to each other at the very beginning, and yet by the end, so tied up with different interpretations, that all he would do, when I questioned him on this seemingly intractable mass, was to say, "Tokinoa, it's just the wheel of time. When I didn't know him, when I was just some little lad in Sheffield in the 1980s and 1990s, just getting to grips with the great animation boom of that time. All we really had was this one voice in the wilderness Captain Harlock, Wagaseishun no Arukadia. That was the film. Uh, the TV series for us came later. And this strange encounter, actually, between an old friend of mine and Matsumoto Sensei. At the incredible French comic convention at Anglem in nineteen ninety, the the owner of the the Sheffield Space Centre that was it the premier place for animation at the beginning of the nineties in the UK had taken my friend along as a on a professional jaunt, and there he encountered this piratical Japanese chap with his straggly beard and his fondness for all things europe came back with photographs and wonders and this notion that we should have a look at this Harlock, or albator as the material he brought back told him as well space pirates seemed a wonderful thing to track down and we did watching it all in japanese with no subtitles and not caring one damn The music and the setting spoke for itself, and we all knew what was going on. We didn't need the words. Maybe along with other things, like Robotech and the, the Ghibli movies. But this is one of those, I don't know, seminal moments that drew us all together, camped, as it were, around our little VHS campfire. I know that's a bit daft but it's one of those things that stick whether it's the landing of the death shadow at the start of the film the the resistance of harlock and emeraldus against the invading Illuminus, or that powerful ending wrapped in seas of fire wrapped in a level of independence and identity Now, of course, it helped that I was a big fan of Raphael Sabatini, Captain Peter Blood, for those who are not familiar with Sabatini's writings, because it was obvious, especially in later years when I did interviews with Matsumoto Sensei, that he too was a fan of the the independent, the rebel figure, which was the, the errant doctor cast into the Monmouth Rebellions. And we all struggle i think with the fascination with the piratical image on the one hand the independent and on the other the seemingly murderous it is this level of i won't say two-facedness is not two-faced a dual identity a dual purpose a dual sense of duty which matsumoto's character seemed to possess not just Harlock or Emeraldus, the obvious ones. Not just Myrtle with her inbuilt rebellion. But every one of them. Mirai ban, Natasha, Marie of the Silver Valley. All his works down through the years. Coming forward in time, so the, the first meeting, a, a random meeting in fact, in 1996 when I was on my study tour. Just one gaijin face in a in a wealth of Japanese at a signing session, and, and I wanted to get a laser disc signed. He was rather surprised. I mean, he knew about it, the, the fact that it had been licensed years before, but that someone would come all the way up, admittedly just from Kobe to Tokyo, to get a signature on a disc, I think it amused him. I think he was a bit disappointed when he found out I was English, hoped perhaps that I was French. After all, it was the French and Italian markets that had re- oh, my apologies, re-energized his career in the 1980s and 90s, as those two countries had taken Matsumoto Sensei's work to heart. But he was generous, generous with his time. Generous with his ideas, generous with, well, everything that he was. From that point onwards, it became more important to me than I would like to admit. Obsessed, maybe? That's a reasonable supposition. 2001 saw the first moves towards, on my part, the writing that we finished up in 2019, in the book that came out then. But between Matsumoto Sensei and his friend Yokoyama Mitsutero, with with whom I had lunch from time to time, it was like being in a sea of dreams. I couldn't have imagined even 10 years previously that I would spend so much time with creators like Yokoyama Sensei, like Monkey Punch, like Shiba and like Matsumoto Reiji. I mean, what was I doing there? I can't draw. Some people might argue I can't write. It's like some sort of drunk uncle, anyway. I have no idea how i managed to go from a a scruffy northern town into a well well the world that i am but always at the back was this little nagging voice do what you can do all you can be free and harm none Anything you can imagine. Sounds like good old sophistry, but these are all words from Matsumoto to me at one point or another. What means most? That was a question that came up to discuss. You know, I don't know. Is it Galaxy Express? Everybody loves that. The Railway into Eternity. Is it Harlock? Like I said, The grief is still too near. I'm afraid this is not exactly what you wanted. It's not exactly what I hope to give you. It is just one man's rambling thoughts on a a lifetime spent in the company of someone who knew himself what level his works had entered into the popular consciousness and yet never spent a great deal of time complaining about the facts that all he had contributed to modern animation had largely gone unregarded or unnoticed, except by those colleagues and disciples who took those ideas and made them central to their own careers. the last of the manga gods perhaps he was i know people of here talk about tezuka yokoyama and matsumoto as being the three great figures that of course dismisses so many people of that first generation but there's something to it tezuka with his characterizations yokoyama with his robots and matsumoto with his girls That's still not important enough. That's still not deep enough. It doesn't answer the the overriding question. Why was this man so important to me? He gave me things that I could believe in, perhaps. Independence and faith, duty, sacrifice. He gave me beautiful things that I could watch and listen to. I go back to the way, in fact, that the the Arcadia film, helmed by the magnificent Rintaro, another one of Matsumoto's deepest confidence, played out in a Wagnerian fashion. Or maybe it's just the fact that at the root of every single one of his works, there is always this lumpy, bumpy ever-smiling, ever-happy little chap who was Matsumoto Sensei's own analogue. Tetsuro, Tochiro, it doesn't matter. I don't think I've ever encountered a better self-insert, nor a better analogue for the audience. The ordinary person carried along with the great heroes of their own ages looping around time and time and time again to play out stories endlessly i've heard it said the story has come to an end i can't believe that i've also seen everywhere about me branded as on walls and computers and message boards and YouTube and Twitter. As if it was some sort of revolutionary stamp. Tokinoa. So perhaps it is true to end with the. Well. Now cliche notion. Et in Arcadia ego. Because we all have discovered Arcadia now that our voice has passed away. Travel well, Master Matsumoto. We'll see you again next time.
0: Just a wonderful, wonderful submission by Mr. Darren John Ashmore. I am so incredibly grateful for those beautiful, beautiful words, and I, uh, (laughs) oh, I'm tearing up again, um, but I just, the moment I heard his submission, I knew that that was what I wanted to end this tribute on, because I think it perfectly encapsulates a lot of what we're all feeling right now, having lost a a truly amazing, masterful, wonderful creator such as Leiji Matsumoto. And I don't think I can ever personally find the right words for something like that. But I feel like in this stream, we have had so many different words from so many different people from all over the world and in all of them i think we see a little bit of ourselves in in each thing and um it it was just wonderful to hear all of these wonderful stories and uh just anecdotes and feelings and that was what i wanted to do with this uh, little memorial stream, this little tribute, I wanted to give a place for people to share those and and get them out and celebrate just what an amazing impact uh, Leiji Matsumoto's work has had on so, so, so many people uh, including myself, uh, you know, I'll say it again, like many other people have already said tonight, that I don't think my life would have patterned out the same if I never had discovered his work. And, uh, for that I am eternally grateful. Uh, so... Thank you all so much. I know on the East Coast, it is very late. Um, I originally was hoping to keep this about two hours, and now it is double that. So I appreciate all of you who have come in at various points or have even stuck with the stream for the entire run. Um, You all are wonderful and I appreciate all the kind words like I this is the first time I've ever done a live podcast recording this is the first time I've ever done any sort of uh, tribute or memorial thing so this is all very new to me and I still feel like you know what I've contributed is not nearly as grand and amazing as some of these stories and recordings that I've received, uh, but I hope that I could help, uh, you know, put together something special for, uh, for someone so important to so many of us. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm a I'm just a mess right now, um, but. Uh, I for- I forgot to mention this at the beginning of the stream, but I did uh, create a special emote in honor of Leiji Matsumoto in my thing. Uh, it is the iconic uh, Harlock flag, and I did make it... Um, available to use channel points, I put it as low as humanly possible. Twitch wouldn't let me make it one point. I had to make it more than that. So um, I encourage you all, if you've stayed this whole time before we end, to uh, f- fly some har- uh, Harlock Flag emotes in honor of our master uh, Mr. Leiji Matsumoto-sensei, and I'm sure somewhere in the cosmos, in the vast sea of stars, that, um, hopefully our feelings have gotten through to him tonight, because I feel like there is just so much love and, uh, brotherhood and togetherness here, uh, with all of us. Uh, I- I'm just so moved by all the beautiful and wonderful and kind words shared here tonight. Uh, So thank you all so very much for coming and uh, for hanging out in chat with us, for talking. Even if you didn't talk, if you just like sort of hung out and lurked and listened, I still appreciate uh, everyone uh, who has you know, stay to celebrate in your own way, the life of this uh, amazing, amazing man. So, uh, thank you all so, so much. And now that it has been four whole hours, I think, (laughs) I think it is time to end for tonight. But, uh, once again, I cannot thank all of you enough for for joining me, for helping make this a just wonderful, wonderful evening uh, dedicated to Leiji Matsumoto. Uh, thank you, Zach Davison, for coming by and talking all about him with me earlier. Uh, again, thank you to all the contributors. All, all your submissions were just wonderful and beautiful. Um, so yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm just a rambling mess right now. I am whew, I'm so so tear stained and waterlogged, but uh I think it was worth it. But uh yes, thank you once again. And for those of you who uh missed any part of this or couldn't be here for the whole thing, I will be taking the audio from this, uh, broadcast, and I will be putting it up online later, uh, probably sometime later this week if I'm able to, um, to get that as this month's podcast episode for my podcast, The Anime Nostalgia Podcast, um, if you're new here and you'd never heard of it before. Um, it, it's available pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts, um, but my blog is Anime Nostalgia at uh, animenostalgia.blogspot.com as well if you want to look that up. But uh, yes, thank you once again. And uh, I hope you all have a wonderful evening. And take care. We will see you again in the Sea of Stars.
4: No oh